What's up, people? My name is Anthony Brinson, and welcome back to the What's On Your Mind podcast. I've really wished I would have started this episode like 30 minutes before just from the conversations we've already had, but I have two very special guests on this show, and I want them to introduce themselves, and we're going to go from there. So, Anna, can you go first? My name is Anna Barnes, and I'm a sophomore at MSU. I'm Shay Paulus. I'm also a sophomore at MSU. We're both journalism majors. Yes, we're all journalism majors. And just to tell a quick story real quick. So we took a class called Journalism 200 with a professor named Scott Atkinson. And from the moment I heard both of them speak, it's just I really wanted a connection with these people. Like I was telling both of them before we started recording, like you two, especially Shay, are one of the most outspoken people I've ever seen. And it was cool to see because as outspoken as I am, I've been shunned for it a lot because I would always ask questions, always be in people's business, always wanted to know about others. And not only did I see similarities in them, when I asked them things, they didn't push me away. They were really accepting, even with not knowing me. And they encouraged me about my show. I was telling them before we start recording that I thank you all so much for being so encouraging about my show and me having a platform and actually wanting to be a part of it whenever we got the time. And I'm so glad we finally got the time to do this. So right off the bat, just I want to ask both of you, what led you to being journalism majors and what led you to wanting to do what you do? So Shay, if you want to go first. I remember being in eighth grade when the high school representative came down to our school to have us pick out the scheduling for the next year going into the high school. Like, what are some stuff, some things you want to try now that you can pick multiple classes and stuff? I remember seeing the box for a class called journalism and asking the representative who came down, it was like a counselor or something. I was like, so what is this class? Like, what does journalism mean? Because you don't learn about journalism under eighth grade. It's not something you're focusing on. It's not one of the core subjects. And she goes, um, I don't really know. I think you write. And she didn't know anything about it. She didn't say, this is the school newspaper. She didn't say, like, this is almost like a club, but in a class. And I just checked the box. And then after that, for all four years, I was in my high school newspaper. I became the youngest person to ever be the editor-in-chief for that paper because I became editor-in-chief my sophomore year. Um, We won lots of awards with MSU and came here for MIPA, the Michigan Interscholastic Press Association, every year for those awards. So I was like already involved with Michigan State's journalism department and knew what they could do. My teacher in high school graduated from MSU, always spoke really highly of MSU's journalism program. And when you look into it, it's the best in the state, top three in the country, or like top 10 in the country. It's a really great school. It's close to where I live. And I love journalism. I mean, I got into it when I was a freshman, so sticking with it was always not something, only like something that was easy for me. It was like the highlight of my high school career, 100%. So I, it was a pretty easy choice for me to go into journalism. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to think about it too much. And you, Anna? All right, so I've always been like really academically smart. And um, so I was going to be like a lawyer or like a doctor or something because, you know, that's kind of how it is in the movies. Like you do good in school, you kind of do that. And I liked the idea of learning, but I kind of didn't like school. Like I skipped a lot of days, things like that. And I found out that it's because I have like a curiosity to learn different things. Not most, not because I love school itself, but because I like learning about things from different like perspectives. And that's kind of what journalism is all about. So once I got into high school, Um, I was doing like a lot of essay contests, speech contests, I was winning prizes for like writing, so I was like, okay, well I guess I'll go into something with writing. 
And originally I was gonna be an English major just because a lot of writing. And then I had a teacher in high school and this teacher, like my entire community kind of hates him because everyone thinks he has like a liberalized like agenda, but um, he kind of just like shows us a lot of journalism. Like he showed us a lot of podcasts, a lot of like stories about like things that we'd never like learned about before because you know, high school curriculum, mm-hmm. you know, it's made not really well. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't learn about a lot of stuff. And this guy was the one teacher that would sit there and teach us stuff that we were never supposed to learn according to, you know, the curriculum. So after seeing the podcasts um, that he showed us, it was like just people that would go to somewhere where they don't know anything and be opened up to a new world just because they were curious. And the amount of times that that class like blew my mind just because it was a bunch of stuff that I had never thought I would learn about and then like stuff that was just crazy to find out. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, it's just like a curiosity aspect. So I, I decided on journalism because I had to do with writing and being really curious and kind of getting your mind blown every day because you interview people that see things totally different from you. So that's kind of, I mean, like it also wasn't very hard for me to choose journalism. And it's one of the best aspects of journalism to me is that it's so broad. You can go into many different things, even if you just like writing. You can go into many different writing companies and writing writing styles as well. And it's just so cool. It's crazy how you mentioned that your teacher didn't know like a lot about journalism because I didn't know what journalism was at all. I just was someone who really loved writing and wanted to have impact on people's lives. I wanted to tell stories, I wanted to help people, and I've always been asking questions since I was younger. I make a joke in um, one the class we're in, Journalism 200, that there have been many teachers who told me, like, stop asking questions, like, put a limit on the amount of questions I have. And I can laugh about it now, but growing up, that was really hard because it made it seem like I shouldn't be so outspoken. And then as I get into high school and I write more, there was literally a moment in 10th grade where I wrote a paper and I thought it was just some old paper. And then once I read it out loud, like it brought people to tears. And even my teacher was teary eyed. And it just it showed me like, like, why are people doing this like to me? Like, I don't feel like I'm worth this emotion or these type of things. And then I went to my scholarship advisor, told her that I'm really into writing. What can I do? And then she talked about journalism and I just put it on my um financial aid and everything just because like this is a major if it's writing then I'm just gonna do it and being a freshman and now a sophomore here it's shown me that all the things that I've wanted to do can surround around journalism and just meeting people like you two or just teacher the teacher we have of Scott it just shows that this can be a career and you can impact people's lives in a positive way and speaking of Scott one of the most coolest things being in that class is seeing your connection with him and I just wanted to ask, I've always been meaning to ask, how did you guys get so comfortable with being outspoken to a professor? Because not a lot of professors care about students. So to see you guys actually cling to him and he actually receive the energy and give it back and be someone who isn't afraid to be himself, that's one of the main reasons why I like him. But to stay on you guys, how did you guys get so comfortable with that and just being so outspoken in a class in general? So. Um, first, I want to go back and like what you said about journalism being like abroad. I think it is like an umbrella degree where I've always wanted, I, I was torn between, you know, working in politics, working with animals, working with kids, working in my community, traveling. Like, I don't know. I want to do it all. I don't ever want to be bored. I don't ever want to be in one place. And I feel like without going into one of those specialized degrees, I can do it all with journalism. I can be a political reporter. I can work with animals and conservation and wildlife. I can work with my community and bring light to important subjects locally, but I can also travel and do international reporting or 
international conflict reporting, you know, stuff like that. And I think journalism is like a very broad spectrum thing, a good way to get your foot in the door for a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Did you want to add anything to that or? I mean, I just agree with everything that you said. It's like, like I said, curiosity. You want to learn things, yeah. and you can learn and learn and learn with journalism because you go into different situations. It's like never-ending. You can always yeah. switch, too. Yeah, like, agreed. You can go from political reporting to environmental reporting, and no one will look twice. Like, that's a normal thing for a journalist, but to have to pick one of those and settle down at 18 was scary, and I felt journalism eased that fear a bit. Mm-hmm. But um, being close with Scott... I don't know if it's, it, it definitely was encouraged by him. Like he fueled the fire that is my personality, but I have always been unapologetically myself. I am this way in all of my classes and it's either really well received like with Scott or we bump heads immediately and they don't like the way I'm outspoken mm-hmm. speaking against the things I don't agree with or don't make sense so freely and openly quickly as I do, because if something doesn't make sense, I'm not going to pretend like I understand for the sake of making the class go smoother. Or if I do think something's wrong, I'm going to question it until it makes sense or seems right, because I'd rather do that than be left with the unsatisfaction of anything else, doing it wrong or just not knowing. Mm -hmm. Um, But having a professor like Scott who really digs into it and like when I banter, he banters back, it almost fuels it in the wrong way and I start to understand why all my teachers in the past might have not liked me as much (laughs) and like why certain teachers have told me like you know I really enjoy this but you better be careful like they've told me no other teacher will put up with your mouth like you've got sass you've got an attitude and I know and it's something I also have heard from a lot of positions of authority in my life (laughs) through a long time Mm -hmm. so it's something I recognize but I have also been praised for that exact thing, being unapologetically myself, not backing down just because someone's louder, more outspoken, angrier, or more willing to say the things. I'm going to be myself no matter what. Like, it's not like anyone can change me. So I guess I'm going to be like that. And Scott just really added to it we mixed well (laughs) Mm -hmm, i definitely agree and i have a question for you shay but we'll let anna go first all right so i actually have like the worst anxiety and freshman year i talked to none of my teachers and i formed absolutely no connection with any of them and then i kind of realized that i was doing all of the filler work because a lot of colleges filler work i mean you're just doing assignments that don't really mean anything. a whole nother conversation So, (laughs) (laughs) so like i wasn't really trying to learn anything like i don't know freshman year i didn't retain anything unless if it like already struck something with me I didn't retain anything Mm -hmm. and I think a part of it was because when I went to the class I would go in um, exactly when the class started I would sit in the back kind of like never talk and then as soon as it's done just leave sounds pretty familiar (laughs) yeah so that's pretty much like how I how I went about freshman year and I realized that I wasn't getting the most out of my education Mm -hmm. and as a journalism major you do like connections are very important so Scott, like, being so open, and then also having Shay in the class, who, like, I had met before, um, be so outspoken, and then seeing it received well by Scott was kind of, like, encouragement that I could do the same thing, and, like, it wouldn't, you know, be awkward, and I didn't have to have anxiety about it, because he wasn't gonna, you know, like, shut me down, or be mean, so, Mm -hmm. um, I think it was a mix between me just personally wanting to, like, learn 
and actually like be a part of my classes and lose the anxiety part of it. And then also having someone else that did the same thing that would help me through it, so. I was like, I have a, a class half the week, or half the time we're going to Scott's class directly before his that's, I don't, I don't talk at all. There's no room to talk, it's not fun, it's not that kind of class where you can conversate with your professor. But you go into Scott's, he says something, and I have some smart-ass response under my breath. Mm-hmm. And I'll mutter it to my friend next to me, or maybe even to myself, just because I want like someone who's not my friend next to me to hear it and chuckle, because I think it's funny. But <laughs> he's the type of professor who'll be like, wait, what'd you say? And when he says that, I'm, I'm going to repeat myself. <laughs> I'm not going to say, oh, it was nothing. I'll say what I said, and we can go from there. But like other teachers would ignore that. They would just keep working. Um, if it was rude, they might stop and say, well, that was inappropriate, you know, or something like that. And I think his attitude also made a really big difference of how that entire class went atmosphere throughout the semester and like just connecting with all of his students, even the ones that didn't talk. And mm-hmm. I probably annoyed the hell out of the <laughs> whole time. <laughs> and just the way he taught, it made it seem like we can learn without it just being so black and white yeah and for me specifically this semester was really hard and his class relieved a lot of the hardships of the semester just because you can literally walk in and be yourself because he's not going to care he's going to be himself but he'll also stay on topic sort of and actually teach us what he's trying to even in the moments where he'll talk about something completely random you can tell it's something that he's very interested in and he wants our input like he doesn't just say it just to go on a tangent he wants us to be interactive so we can get to the point of journalism and being outspoken and being everything that you two are i think i agree with everything you just said (laughs) (laughs) um one of the main things we were talking off of the recording that i was talking with shay with is just her confidence but one of the main things and she she accepted the compliment but she also corrected me and the difference between confidence and i think you said self-awareness if i'm not mistaken self-assuredness and i just wanted you to explain what you meant by that again just because it was a lot of great information and just a good difference in the two yeah so i feel like at least for me confidence has a really physical connotation like when i think confidence i'm like she's happy with how she looks she's Mm -hmm. happy with how she's being perceived Mm -hmm. and i have a lot of issues with how i'm perceived i wouldn't say i'm very confident i'm not super happy with how i look i'm not super happy being perceived at all i try not to think about that most of the time i am very sure of myself and my mindset and like my beliefs and stance on things and that's why for me self-assuredness has more of a mental connotation where i'm thinking Uh, She's confident with her belief system. She's confident with the values and morals she holds. She's confident in her mind. Mm -hmm. And I want to say either is more valuable than the other. But for me, I think they are different. And being self-assured is just having the strength behind my stances. And if I don't have... A solid background behind those stances I probably won't say them out loud mm-hmm. because I don't want myself to look stupid so if I'm not really ready to defend a stance defend my belief that with my entire backbone I won't say it because why would I <laughs> definitely understandable do you have any input on that at all Anna or do you, do you agree at all um definitely when someone says confident I do think of the outer and self-assuredness I do think of the inner because I am probably the same way honestly there's probably better words to describe it too that I just can't think of right Mm -hmm. but um yeah I think that I am more confident with how self-assured I am versus confident with how I 
look or how I'm perceived. I agree with that. Because, mm. I mean, we both can sit here and we can, like, have a conversation that's pretty, like, intellectual and mm -hmm. then, like, have ideas that bounce back and forth and it doesn't turn into the stuff that we see every day between, like, two different people having, like, different viewpoints um, because we're both standing there and, like, being assured in our own beliefs that we can have a, a good conversation about it. And that kind of, like... That helps a lot because if you're always getting dragged down by like someone else because they're telling you, oh no, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, but you have someone that is on that same level and you guys have a discussion and you're kind of like, and it's like a good discussion, it kind of helps you believe in yourself a little bit better. So I think that there's, I think that's like one thing, confidence is hard to build because it's how you look more than self-assuredness. Mm -hmm. It's easier to build because you can always educate yourself on things and become more confident in your own self like mind yeah mm -hmm. i think that's well put i also think there's that self-assuredness goes hand in hand with open-mindedness yeah because there is a difference between being self-assured and being a know-it-all and thinking that agree. what you think is right just because you think it mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. what i think is right because i feel well educated well prepared and well I, I educate is the right word. Well, educated on my stance enough to defend it wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. But if I weren't and I would still defend that stance wholeheartedly, I think there's a big difference. I just, You'd still be self-assured. Yeah. But it would just be in a way that's... An ignorant an way. An ignorant way, yes. Because there's a difference between like believing in what you have to say because that's just how you feel and believing in what you have to say because you've learned about it so much that you can confidently say you're educated about that subject and have that stance. So, yeah. Self-assuredness goes both ways with it. <laughs> and open-mindedness, just always being open to the fact that you could be wrong. Yep. It's one of the most important things you can learn in life is that, one, everything doesn't really revolve around your mindset, but just being open-minded to other ideas. One of the main topics that I wanted to talk to you guys about when we first communicate about a podcast is the problem and the dangers of being an alpha male and having that mindset of being better than anyone and we've had a lot of conversations by andrew tate so just to perfectly segue into that conversation what are your thoughts on the mindset of being an alpha male and why do you strongly disagree with them to spoil your or part of your opinion um you want to take the lead well i mean the first thing i want to say is that he talks about females a lot and he's not a female so like <laughs> There's a lot There's of so much said in that just that one quick sentence. Yeah, that was a lot. <laughs> that we don't even so, really need to go much further. <laughs> it's just it's kind of just he's so arrogant because he doesn't he cannot understand how what he's saying is wrong unless he listens to the other side and he will not listen to the other side because he's so confident in his own views and thoughts that he just there's nothing you can do. Like it's a you, good it, example of being self-assured without being open-minded. Right. That's exactly. A, like, exactly what we were talking about. That's the worst way to be. Like, he's confident. He th knows what he's saying. He knows he defends and believes what he's saying. But he is not open at all mm -hmm. to anyone else's perspective, especially those who he is talking about. And that's the most important part because he's not a member of that group. Mm -hmm. How can you talk about women yet be completely closed off to any input from any woman. <laughs> it's very, very redundant. And it's one of the main, one of my first episodes is talking about what happened between Roe v. Wade. And the reason why that decision frustrated me so much is because men have power over things that they're never going to experience. And people, they don't even look at as equal. 
So they would have these strong opinions and express them, but then won't hear from them, won't hear why their mindset is dangerous, and they won't care. And it's one of the many gripes I have with my own gender just because I communicate with a lot of men all the time that don't really care about other women's beliefs, that don't care about their well-being, and they only put themselves first. And like I was saying both of you guys before we recorded, that no matter what you believe in religiously, if you are religious or not, this world would be nothing without women. And the progress that I thought America was making just for America to take a step backwards. Backflip backwards. It's really disappointing. It's really aggravating living in this world as a man because not to say that it's my fault, but it's our as men fault because we're the one who make most of the decisions and we're the ones in power. And then we use our power to diminish anyone that don't share mindsets similar to us. And it's really it's I just find it really detrimental. And one of the main reasons why I wanted Shay specifically on this podcast is because even when she's so um, outspoken, she sees other mindsets and we've disagreed on conversations and she didn't seem like aggressive. And one of the main things we disagreed about, I made an episode about this previously, is about moral high ground. And one of the main things that we were discussing, it was pretty much big corporations and Stealing, for lack of better words, or at least in my opinion, stealing. And I, when I recorded the episode, I pretty much gave both sides of these big corporations. They're not really, they accommodate for that, but it's still like stealing is wrong. Shay had a different outlook on it, and I want to hear from her if she remembers the conversation we had. Yeah, so essentially, to sum it up, I feel that big corporations are not affected on nearly the same level as small businesses when it comes to stealing, but they play a much larger role in the systems that create the need for stealing, the situations that would push someone to steal, than small businesses are. I think corporations are to blame for a lot of capitalistic flaws our society sees, like mm-hmm. someone being forced to steal food, even if they have a full-time job, or, you know, a multi-billion dollar university paying over half of its staff minimum wage, like that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. they have the money. They budget in accordance and to prepare for people to do exactly what they're doing because they know they're creating a problem. Mm -hmm. They acknowledge it when they budget for people stealing, when they create room in their budget to have people steal because they know that it's going to be out of reach for their audience. Mm -hmm. I feel that it's not morally unjust to steal from large corporations. I think there's no money coming out of any one person's pocket when you do that. Mm-hmm. Not the store manager, not the store's district manager, not the regional manager, not the CEO. There's no person who is going to lose money off their paycheck because you stole that loaf of bread or that bottle of nail polish or (laughs) that apple or whatever you're taking that bag of flour or it could be bigger that birthday cake from the deli at Meyer or something you walk out with it they're not going to run and tackle you for that cake because they know they can afford to lose it Mm -hmm. a local store would they would be oh my gosh that's $30 worth of my supplies that I paid for that took away from my house payment that they are walking out the door with. I'm going to go after that. And they can afford to because they have the insurance for that. Big corporations don't because they know they're creating the issue and they can afford it. Mm -hmm. So I feel that if you are in a position where you are forced to steal, do it from a corporation 
and make sure it's actually warranted. But I'm not saying that stealing is good. <laughs> no, I'm not I definitely saying, understand. like, go around stealing shit for shits and giggles, you know. I'm not saying doing it for fun, but I don't think there is an ethical dilemma in it as much as it would be if you were, like, in a small town stealing mm-hmm. from your neighbor. Yes. This is a corporation who could not care less if you starved to death tonight. And you taking that life, that bread, if that's the matter between life and death. And, you know, it might not always be that serious, but if it were in that situation, for some people it is, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I definitely understand. Do you have any thoughts about that, Anna? Yeah, so um, obviously since we were very young, we, it's been drilled into our heads that stealing is wrong. So um, I don't think stealing is right. That's true. But I don't think any person that needs to steal wants to. So I think that they already that's have a, a personal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're a, a klepto. klepto yeah. That's like the one. <laughs> you already have like a personal guilt when you're doing it because you're going in there knowing morally stealing is overall wrong. You're doing something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You're breaking so, the rules. I mean, you're already like, you're in a terrible position. You're already feeling guilty. And then you're taking something to survive. So I think like if anyone's going to punish the people that steal, it's themselves because mm-hmm. it's going to be a guilty thing you're going to feel guilt from it. So I think the corporations don't need to punish people because if I had money, I would much rather go and buy something. Right, it's so much easier than doing things sneaky and behind the counter and like under behind the walls, sneaking around, running out, and then risk having to get caught next time you come back. The embarrassment of being caught. Imagine you see someone you know and you're going out the door with your pockets full. Right. And then the alarms go off, and they got to watch you empty your pockets till you can never come back. And then you see, like, your neighbor walking out the door with their bags that they paid for. Mm-hmm. No, every, it's embarrassing. No one wants to do that, ever. Right. It's, like, exactly what you're saying. I just, yeah. yeah. I would hate, like, I, if I had the money to buy it, I would buy it. If I didn't and I had to steal it, that's because I'm put in such a bad circumstance, and I'm already going to feel guilty about it. Like, I know I'm going to come out of that store feeling like shit. Right. It's oh, definitely not the easier option. And it's one of the main things I understand when Shay says her point, because everything you just said is true, Anna, but these corporations could not care at all. They couldn't care less. And like she mentions, they're put in a position to be okay from that anyway. And they're not going to think twice about it. They're not going to think twice about how your life is going. They're only going to focus on the fact that you're stealing. But like both of y'all mentioned, nobody wants to steal. They don't want to be in the position that they're in to have to do that. They're just trying to survive. And one of the main things I like from both of you is that y'all two have such a strong connection. And it's one of the main reasons why I wanted both of y'all on this together, like not just to have this separately because y'all bounce off each other so well. How did you two meet from each of y'all perspective? Because I've realized that I forget how I've met a lot of my friends and they have different stories. So from each of y'all perspective, how did y'all meet? And then how did y'all gain such a strong connection to be able to bounce off each other like that? If you want to go first, Anna. Okay, so um, we had... I've only taken like a handful of journalism classes so far, like not many at all. And I think it was last year we were taking 265, 265, like an international course, I think. International reporting. Yeah. So we were taking that class and we got put into a group together and then we would text in the group meet like all day during class because Mm -hmm. it was so boring. We didn't talk during, our professor was blind and there was, yes, and our TA was not very involved. He was sleep so, at the back of the class. Yeah, he was sleep in the back of the class <laughs> and like sneak out because our professor couldn't see him. It was kind of evil, but it wasn't. We would go there, sit down, listen to him talk, and leave. There was no 
team building. There was no time to chat with your neighbors. Mm-hmm. There was no time to meet anyone. So like after we knew that we were in a group together, she was the only person I knew in the class. That's like all I could do was <laughs> text and talk to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then I think we, we like would walk out of the class together and like talk for a couple minutes, but it wasn't really anything. And we just, I think we added each other on Snap and that was it. Like we didn't hang out at all last year, like never. So then this year we got into Scott's class and she walked in like, you know, super late. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then I waved at her. Well, I think she waved at me first actually, but like we were just, and I looked at her and I was like, I think I know her. Well, we didn't 100%. have masks this year. Last year we wore masks. Right. Mm-hmm. I did not recognize like anyone. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. Is that yeah. really the person I think it is? So you're going off their eyes. That's it. Yeah. So she waved at me and then she um, told me that I could park at Comart Sai and I did not know that before. So I was forever grateful. I was so mad that I had to park at Wells every day. If you're wondering, so. you definitely can't park at Comart Sai. You have to pay every time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you do. You will yeah. really get a ticket if you don't pay. Uh-huh. Like definitely. a $100 one. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, that's and then we just walked back to our cars together like every day, and eventually decided that we didn't hate each other. So, <laughs> well, I think eventually it was like, um, like I said earlier, it was like hard to do stuff on campus last year, mm-hmm. and I realized that I didn't make a lot of friends last year on campus. I was like, when I went home for the summer, they were like, oh, so like who are your friends from college? I was like, like one person, <laughs> and it felt embarrassing so I was on a mission already at the beginning of this year to like make more connections and meet more people especially on campus because I don't live on campus and I feel like I've missed out a lot mm-hmm. and that's something I don't want to weigh on me forever so I was like I'm gonna try to find some people on campus that I can connect with and it was like perfect because oh my gosh we're in the same major we've been in classes together we get along already I know she works well because she, and I know she's smart it's like a pretty good requirement for me when it comes to friends so I was like, one day when we were walking back, I was like, yeah, if you guys end up doing anything like for Halloween or something, just let me know because I would love to have something to do. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, because we would message each other about like this class that we were in together. And then we were walking back. I was like, yeah, message me if you guys end up doing anything. And then they ended up doing something for Halloween. What was the event? Frat crawl. <laughs> that's yeah it was what frat hopping and then yeah. i didn't make it out that night yeah no. she didn't go out at all actually i mm. went out with her friends <laughs> she did <laughs> that's very interesting and then the next night she came out it was fun yeah and it's so cool to see because from my perspective it seemed like y'all have known each other for years just because the it connection feels like that i think about that sometimes too yeah <laughs> and it's like, like it's... why do i tell anna these things <laughs> why am i so comfortable with her it seems like a match made of heaven and you mentioned comfort and it's just something we share is that I didn't my first year was equally as almost as hard as this year if for me if not this year being harder because it's been pretty wild college experience but one of the main things that was hard for me was making friends because as friendly as outspoken as I am I don't participate in a lot of the things that college kids do like I wouldn't go to a frat uh, see I don't do those things either mm-hmm. it, it definitely put me outside of my comfort zone mm-hmm. but it was like really wanted friends I don't drink at all so that's like hard enough that was one of the things I was going to name and just certain things to interact with certain people you have to do quote-unquote to make those connections but when you make those healthy connections to where you don't have to do those things where you can just sit and talk or go get coffee it's some of the most magical relationships that I've seen and I've had the pleasure of witnessing both of you guys and being in this class with y'all and I know that it's not as easy to maintain those type of relationships and just have those people you can connect it with. 
And we had a conversation in brief detail about it being difficult to trust certain people. And I just wanted to ask you if you don't mind giving um, the details, or not the details, but the characteristics of the conversation we were having. How did you build this trust with people to be able to have those relationships and to be comfortable with being yourself around people? Um, I think I'm definitely, uh, it's a a tough relationship to have with myself because I've, it's like growing up, you go from being called a leader to bossy Mm -hmm. and then being outspoken versus interruptive or like um, hard-headed. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a very push and pull relationship with my personality. Like, oh, you're doing great. Keep going. Like, you're being so leader. You're such a leader. You're outspoken. You're letting everyone know how you feel, whatever. It's great. But then come back. You, that's too much. You are pushing people away with your personality. You are blowing people away with your opinions. You're too opinionated. You think you're better than everyone. You think you're always right. And I don't. But it was, like, hard to find that balance of where I'm okay enough to be completely myself. I'm not going to say I like certain things for the sake of saying I like them to get along with other people to fit in. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to change any aspect about myself for the sake of others. Because in the end, I will just be more unhappy. Like, I'm not going to, like, with Anna, like, with people who enjoy like partying and drinking and stuff, I'm not going to lie and say like, oh, I love doing that. Mm -hmm. And then we get there and you're like, wow, you're having a terrible time. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I lied. I hate this. I just wanted to fit in. Like, no, I'll say, it's not really my thing, but I'll go, I'll try. Mm -hmm. I'm open to it. So I feel like being open-minded is a really big thing. Even if you don't like hit all the nails on the head with similarities to people, you don't enjoy all the same things. You don't, think the same way about everything I'm okay with that to an extent Mm -hmm. like we just got to be like in the same book not on the same page you know definitely understand and just from meeting both of you just hearing the stories that y'all are from and just the things y'all overcame and how y'all became the people y'all are now it's it's almost inspiring for like a better word just because seeing the type of woman y'all are and so powerful and being in the positions y'all are in only at 19 and 20 to be there so early who knows the position y'all gonna be at 25 at 30 or scott's old quote-unquote age of 40 (laughs) god forbid we get that old but just seeing where y'all at already it's really inspiring and it wasn't easy to get to this point like i feel like i should add that with the push and pull thing there's usually outside perspective saying that like that's teachers telling me that i'm a great leader i am empowering and then that was like in fifth grade, but then I get to like ninth and they're like, oh, you are bossy. You are too opinionated. You are too outspoken. Mm -hmm. And then going home to cry about that and telling my dad, like, no one likes me. They don't like my opinions, but I can't just hold my tongue. You didn't raise me like that. Mm -hmm. And he tells me it's okay. Like he's jealous of the fact that I am so okay with being myself. I am so outspoken and educated and willing to conversate with people about these things. So it's definitely not something I could have done on my own, I don't think, without the encouragement, but also backlash from other people, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's important to hear that from your dad and just from someone who you know cares about you, because 
it's really interesting how perspective can be someone's reality. And from your perspective, you're just being who you are. But someone can say, oh, you're yeah. bossy or oh, you're this and kind of try and take that power away from you. And, and I get that. the fact that you can keep that within you no matter what, I definitely agree it's not easy because it's not it's not as easy to just speak your mind, to say something to a professor and you don't know how they're going to respond, to just walk up to people and ask them, hey, I want to be on my podcast. And then to have a busy schedule and to not get to it the day we planned and then for y'all to make time for someone to be on a pod. I don't know if y'all realize I'm talking about me and our relationship <laughs> yet, but just to put yourself out there, it's definitely not easy at all. So to meet people like y'all that have been so accepting of that because y'all know how it is, it has really changed my life in a, in a way. And I'm definitely, I'm going to say it at the end of the episode again, but I really appreciate y'all for giving me the time to talk to y'all. And it means a lot. Well, thank you for giving us the opportunity. This is like your podcast. I just like to talk. Yeah. I told them before we recorded, and I always try to tell my guests this, that it's really, it's about y'all. It's about whatever y'all want to talk about and whatever the things that y'all have been through to tell y'all story. Because like I was mentioning, y'all don't have to give me this time. This is the middle of finals and trying to prepare for stuff. I know we all got stuff to do. We're all tired. So to take this time out of y'all day to do that means a lot to me. And Previously in our class of Journalism 200, we were working on a feature story, and I did mine on um, the Herpetology Society Club here at MSU. It's a club about like exotic animals, and like I had a snake around my neck. It was so cool. Like what? it's one of the most. What is that? <laughs> yeah, I got. I got to show you all the pictures of um, <laughs> when I took when I did for my uh, feature story, but it was something that I went out and did. It was a new experience. I would never thought I experienced those really type of cool. things. That is really cool. And. One of the other feature stories I heard was about yours, Shay, and it happened to deal with Anna a lot and Anna's boyfriend. And her boyfriend is in a very interesting spot. Never actually met someone as close to a situation like this. So before I ask the question I have for her about this situation, I'm going to give her the opportunity to give some details about it and then we can go from there. I have a quick question. When you say, like, you never actually met someone, you mean, like, you usually see this kind of thing on TV? Definitely. Okay. And it's not, it's talked about for 15 minutes or 15 seconds, and it's not really exposed again. It's almost not personal. Normalized. Normalized, yeah. Dehumanized. Yeah. And it's definitely something I'm going to touch on later with uh, Mr. Kanye West, but it seems like a lot of issues are only used for media and for entertainment and clicks, and then when it's not hot no more, it's thrown away. That's why, ironically, journalists get a bad rep, because... People think that we just do these things just for the clicks, and a lot of people do. So it's really important. It was really important to me to talk about this on my platform because we can only do so much on our own because so many people will just not care about it or only be like, oh, do this or save this live or donate to this and then ignore it the next day. So, Anna. All right. So my boyfriend, he is a U.S. citizen, but his parents both aren't. So he's like a first generation a U.S. citizen, and they moved to the U.S. when um, he was very, very young, and he has an older brother who is part of DACA because he was born in Mexico but moved here very young, and then his older sister is a U.S. citizen. So there's one child in the family that is not a citizen and is a DACA recipient, and then his two parents were illegal. And his father, it's actually super easy in Mexico to get a felony, like a felony charge for anything. Like, because, you know, it's not like, how do I say it? It's like, it's corrupt, you know? So like you could do anything and get a felony charge there. And then if you get a felony charge in Mexico, you have no chance of getting 
a green card in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Absolutely no chance. So his dad had no, like, there, it wasn't possible for him to even try and, you know, do it through the U.S.'s system to get a green card. So they moved here, like, super young, like, when he was super young. And um, it was, like, I think 2017, but I think he was he was still pretty young. And his father just, like, got deported. Um, just one day he was there, the next day he wasn't. And they didn't give him any information about where he was going. They didn't, like, it was so like abrupt and with no information Mm -hmm. like the u.s the way they do it they send them like they sent him to prison because he had previous charges Mm -hmm. and he had previous charges and then entered the u.s so he went to prison for like five years before getting even deported back into mexico so and they had no contact with him for like maybe a whole year after that because they just no one would tell them anything they didn't tell him where the dad was nothing Mm -hmm. so then his mom was a single mother still illegal living in the u.s with four kids Mm -hmm. and the dad was deported so then um his mom was like really sad like you know because she was alone and then she couldn't get like the jobs that she wanted to because she was illegal Mm -hmm. and she was working on getting a green card but she wanted to go back to mexico to the dad and they they were all going to come back to the u.s again and alejandro was maybe 16 this is my boyfriend and um, he told his mom, like, if you do not go back to Mexico now and just let me stay here, like, to keep the house and everything, mm-hmm. then I'm going to run away and you're never going to see me again. Like, he used that ultimatum against her to make her go home because she was so depressed in the U.S. So he flew, finally, like, she agreed. And he flew back to, the, to Mexico, dropped her off, and then came back, had to drop out of high school to pay bills because he had to work full time because high school he could only work 20 hours Mm -hmm. and he couldn't pay the house bill that he owned now at 16 years old alone and so it was just him left in the U.S. and his older sister who lives like like 100 miles away Mm -hmm. so he was just alone in the U.S. just working to um, keep the house so he could get his mom a green card eventually to come back over and yeah so his family was split up and now he has a lot of responsibility. And it's remarkable to hear a story like that. When I was hearing you and Shay talk about it with Scott when y'all were talking about the story, it blew my mind because at 16 years old, I was playing Pokemon. I was on Nintendo. I was, you know, doing normal kid stuff. And the fact that that was stripped away from him is very disappointing for our just how systems work. And to have that sort of responsibility at such a young age is remarkable and the question that i want to ask from this situation is first how did you meet how did you meet him and then does his situation learning about it does that change your viewpoint on life at all from the sense of like things could be worse like does it make you more grateful for him and y'all connection and just life in general or just how does how has that shaped your mindset being with someone from that type of experience Right. So we met at work because, you know, he is a hard worker. So he worked like every day. I worked every day and he was a line cook and I was a waitress. So kind of a funny thing there because it's pretty like stereotypical. Yeah, it's like a trope. Right. So, um, yeah, we met there and then we became friends because we like everyone there that was around the same age. We all it was summer. So we all like would hang out together. And his house was a hotspot to go to because no parents. Mm -hmm. And at first, you know, I thought that that was so like fun. Like I thought it was like, oh my gosh, you own your own house because I didn't know his story. Mm -hmm. And one day we were all sitting there and I was like, where are your parents? And then he said, Mexico. And I was like, 
no, like, really, <laughs> like, where are your parents? <laughs> like, like, stop joking, where are your yeah, parents? Like, where are they? And he's like, they got deported. And, like, he jokes about, like, his, like, the way he talks, everything sounds like, a, like, he's joking. So I really didn't believe him. And I had to, like, I was like, is he being serious? Like, I'm asking everyone, like, he's being serious. And then, um, like, he had, like, an interest in me. So, like, I came back over there one time. And he just told me kind of his life story. He opened up really fast to me. And just hearing about it, like, DACA, first of all, I have always hated the way that people that grew up in the U.S. would get, like, if they didn't pay for their DACA membership, which is, like, I think he said it was, like, this could be completely wrong, but he said his brother had to pay maybe $10,000 to renew his DACA. Really? Because after Trump went into office. Mm -hmm. So that's super expensive already. Any cost on it at all? Any cost on it at all. Yeah, you're paying to live here when you've lived here your entire life, or they're going to send you to a country where you may not know the language, you don't know the culture, or you may I've not know the culture. There. You've never lived there. It's, it's not the country that you call home. Mm -hmm. So, like, I've always hated that. And then meeting someone who had a brother with that situation was just, it just made it so much more personal, because it's not something that I think about a lot, like, because I didn't go through the situation. So it's normalized, like, like in the media, it's normalized. Mm -hmm. So it kind of desensitized it to me. And then it personalized it by having a close relationship with someone who who's literally family members in Mexico right now because he couldn't pay for his DACA. Mm -hmm. So it was like, it just, it definitely made me happy that, like, or not happy, but like it made me like uh, grateful for my like family because I don't have to worry about that. Like I don't have to worry about someone showing up on my doorstep and just like pr pretty much kidnapping my mom mm -hmm. and then like not, like not knowing where she is for a year. Like that's, awful I couldn't imagine and it just knowing that he was so young and then was able to move past it like to like move past the heartbreak of losing his dad so young to build a life for himself that's actually like he's doing so well now like he's making good money you know he and like doing more than a lot of adults in his position right would be able to yeah he's 18 years old working 80 hour weeks and you don't meet people like that every day. No. It's like a genuine superhero. Like the things that he do and like from how you talk about him, he seems like have a great personality, very upbeat personality. And you wouldn't be able to tell what he's been through. Not and it's one of the greatest appeals of people to just meet them and they don't complain because he could easily complain. He can he could have a whole podcast himself just complaining. And instead of doing that, he works his ass off and gets things done and creates a life for himself that he wants. And to hear someone like that and to be as close as knowing the girlfriend of somebody like that, it's like, it's very, it, it damn near leaves me speechless because to have that support system with you and to have that relationship with him, I can imagine that that does wonders for him. And the fact that you can be with someone who has gone through that and not judge and build a relationship y'all have it shows it shows that humanity that you can have hope in humanity <laughs> and it shows that even if you think you work hard enough you could most likely work harder cuz you never know what the next person is doing to put food on the table yeah and honestly he's motivational like it motivates me like, mm -hmm. just because like i mean obviously i i didn't have the easiest childhood but i had an easy one compared to that and like i feel like just listening to him talk about how like how much he was so excited to start working at 80 hour week I was like you're excited to do that because me I work like a 45 hour like week and I'll be like wow that was crazy that mm -hmm. was the longest week of my life and he's out there working 80s like overtime every day mm -hmm. and then he wants to do like he has so many goals it's insane like it's wild to hear him talk about all the things he wants to do in the future and sometimes I forget how young because he's actually he's only 18 mm -hmm. so he's 
you know, a year younger. And sometimes I just forget that he's young because he's so mature, like, in that way. Like, in so many ways, he's, you know, obviously been through so much. It's matured him a lot faster. He had to grow up really young. So every now and then, like, he'll say something, and I'll be like, oh, you are younger than me. <laughs> like, it's just, like, the realization that there are some things that he's still, like, working on in maturity-wise. It's just, like, it's wild. It's wild, kind of, to see that, to remember that he's not, like, 24 and, like, making a life for himself like already. Like, he's just starting, but he's doing so well. Even 24, that would be young. He's doing these things at 18. Right. Started at 16. So from 16, his life was flipped upside down, and he flipped it right side up. He made mm -hmm. sure to have the best out of it. And what are some of his goals? You mentioned that he has a lot of aspirations. And yeah, so he wants to do, like, a lot of real estate stuff. So he, like, because he, he owns his house now. And then he wants to, like, start getting passive income by doing real estate. Mm -hmm. um, he will sit there and watch hours and hours of informational things on just random subjects just to learn more about them so mm -hmm. he can, like, you know, use them. And then he wants to do trades, like, I think, like, maybe electrician, he might have said, HVAC, mm -hmm. something like that. I don't know. But, like, he has a bunch of trade schools that he wants to do things for because he's searched into it. And you can do, like, a different trade every year, and you can get, like, these all these different, like, kind of like degrees certifications. Yeah, certifications mm -hmm. and then like he can move himself into a better position every time so he just he works and works and works to move himself into a better position so those are all of his goals and then he's like the best boyfriend ever so like <laughs> like he's not a jerk at all he's like very considerate of like my feelings and me and I think that that's just like you put all that together and it's just really motivational and I love to hear that and just real quick one quick thing I know you mentioned DACA if you have any information about that like what is that just real quick for the listeners who may not know because i don't know either <laughs> oh really mm -hmm. okay so daca is um it's like a program that was made i think obama made it right yeah so obama put it in place because there were so many children that were that were born in mexico so they didn't have birthright citizenship in the u.s but they got like their parents moved them to the u.s and obviously like when you're that young the first argument you can make is that they didn't consent to move mm -hmm. so like even though, that, like, they didn't have a say in moving to the U.S. And they came here, and then, you know, like, now they're, they're not, built they're illegal. Life. Yeah, they built a life here. Their entire time growing up, they built a life in the U.S. They learned, I mean, a lot of, you know, um, Im like, immigrants might lose culture and uh, language mm -hmm. just because they want to, like, assimilate to the, U like, to the U.S. culture and language to, like, you know, ensure that their kid will have all of, the U.S. for them, like they can, they're gonna, they're gonna be able to get a green card. They're gonna be able to do all that. But DACA pretty much put it in place that those kids that spent their entire lives in the U.S. could not be deported mm -hmm. because protects they, it protects them from being deported. And Trump didn't like that at all. So when Trump got into office, he put in a whole bunch of new shit that like made it hard for these people like to stay in the U.S. So to so maintain to maintain DACA citizenship, yep. specifically, is very hard. It requires a lot of legal loopholes that you have to jump through mm -hmm. to remain on on the radar as a completely legal citizen. A lot more than anyone, 100% more, which is nothing than anyone who is a natural born citizen would ever right. have to do. Yeah, so I've they, never they had they're... to prove my citizenship, but someone who's lived here quite literally as long as me could have to. to spend thousands of dollars and countless time energy efforts sacrificing so many things like you said cultural mm -hmm. and linguistically just 
for a chance at something they should have that they naturally. Should have. Right, exactly. And it's, and it's so, ridiculous. Yeah, imagine just growing up with someone, they're your best friend your entire life, and then for you to stay here and do the same things as them, you just have to go through, like... Everything with, twice with, as every, hard. Yeah, everything, everything do it with yeah. weight on your ankles, yeah. Right. And it actually, like... it the way that that happened like it made people scared to renew their daca because they thought as soon as they renewed it they were going to get deported because mm. that's kind of the vibe that trump set out right. you know so once he got into office it was scary to even claim that you were part of daca like you didn't want to you didn't want if you were going through the like thing to get your green card it was scary mm -hmm. to even keep trying because at any you. point you could have got deported and no one yeah i mean no one even cares it seems so it's it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's insane. Just to go back to like Alejandro's situation and all, and I'm not like he is so inspirational, very motivational. He is a hard worker. He has a lot of positive attributes about himself. But I think we should recognize how easy it would have been, much easier than everything he's done, to in turn hate the systems and countries that have put him in this position. Definitely. And how we blame other countries for indoctrinating their citizens and then sending them here with poor intentions as if that's not what we're doing to our own citizens who identify with those communities all the systems that were instilled to protect alejandro failed him every one of them the public school system the state cps daca fucking immigration everything that I mean, was supposed to yeah. protect look out and ensure his safety didn't do that I mean, and if kid, anything, put him at more risk. I, he couldn't even go to the doctor. Right, he couldn't because do he was anything. 16 years old. So he, he couldn't get a, a license. Guardian. He didn't have a garden. He, he didn't get an education. He didn't get health care. All of these things that were instilled to protect and ensure his safety and well-being worked against him as soon as one overlying issue weighed down, which was the immigration. I feel like if it were handled differently from that standpoint, from an immigration standpoint, all of those issues and where he is now could have been avoided so easily. And we have to consider how easy it would have been for him to be spiteful and hateful towards our country, towards those institutions, to be one of those people who goes to Mexico because he's forced to, with the plans to come back with vengeance, with the plans to speak ill of the United States, to put himself at more risk because of that. And there are extremists out there who are willing to go find the organizations that would support these hateful outlooks mm -hmm. or find means to make their voice heard. If they're pissed about immigration and they want to go blow up an immigration center, I mean, that's a good way to get the message across if you feel like you've been ignored your entire life systematically. Mm -hmm. And it's just kudos to him. That's not the mm -hmm. easy way out is to work your ass off and do everything that you shouldn't have to do. And it's sad. It's, it makes me mourn the child that he's lost, yeah. his inner child, and then the child that he will never get a chance to fulfill his dreams mm -hmm. of you know being a normal teenager and not having to spend a majority of your teenage years working your life away behind the walls of a factory. But it definitely wasn't the easy choice. Yeah. And it takes a remarkable amount of strength and integrity to not only choose that, but pursue it continuously. Yeah. And like you said, he could easily hate the world. And the fact that instead of doing that, he still is positive. It's like... He could hate the world, but he's continuing to give his life to it. 
Like yeah. he could, he's cho- he could have chose to leave the U.S. He's like, man, fuck this country. They do not give a fuck about me. They do not care about my people. They do not care about my culture. They don't care about my life. They wouldn't care if I died. They don't care if my mom died. Fuck this country. But instead, he's in turn giving his life to it. He talked about with me for my interview for his feature story, he could go and serve. He could go in the military and do everything. He could quite literally become government property. And that wouldn't affect his family situation at all. That wouldn't get his brother approved for DACA. That mm-hmm. wouldn't exemplify his bro- his dad from his record in Mexico and allow him to come back to the U.S. ever. Mm-hmm. He There's nothing he could do from his standpoint to rectify anything on his family's end. And it's just a broken, broken system. Yeah. It's a horrible cycle. And it's, like I said, just it takes a lot of integrity for him to be able to do what he's doing and continue to give so much to it when I, I think I would have definitely chose the... The easy, right? a hateful, easier, spiteful route yeah. of man, fuck this country. Because I, I live here, and I've, <laughs> I've, gotten, I've gotten all the good things this country has had to offer. Mm-hmm. And I am still, man, fuck this colonizing-ass <laughs> country. I hate these motherfuckers. And just from a person perspective, I want to thank you for even wanting to write about that. Because if you didn't, we wouldn't have known. And that is what being a journalist is about. If you didn't... To be fair, it was Anna's story. And really? And she couldn't write it because yeah. of her I asked Scott if I could it. because, you know, journalist integrity. And then he was like, no. And I was like, okay, can she write it? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and I do think it is a story that needs to be told. But and it would mess up her credibility as her as his significant other right. to write it. She would be biased. Even if she didn't mean to. If you're trying so hard to not be biased, you would Even the relation <laughs> is just bias enough from I am almost at standards. too much of a risk to be biased right. and just for you to still take the opportunity and still do that it, I hope you get a good grade on that because even regardless of <laughs> the standard because I know you were talking about like a source issue which regardless that story is impactful and that's powerful and that's what being a good journalist that is in my eyes being a good journalist even if you're biased even if you're close to someone who's biased getting that story out there for the greater good I feel like that's what's more important and you mentioned a couple seconds ago how you feel about this country that we live in. And I just wanted to give both of you all the opportunity to explain and just express really just your views on the U.S. and also some political aspects, because I know we've dive, we've dove into some political conversations. So just the whole spiel of that, whether it's politics or just the world, because I feel like it's important, even if it's a negative viewpoint, to just get it out there and why you feel that way. So, Shay, you go first. I would love to. I've got some <laughs> hot takes about this, actually. Um, first, I would like to acknowledge I am in a first world country. I have reaped the benefits of this first world country in numerous amount of times. What? Have you ever heard that some people or some other countries consider us not a first world country? Yeah. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah. They consider us not first world because of, like, I mean, in my brain, we are first world. We are so far from what is considered a third world country. Mm -hmm. But yet we do have things like Roe v. Wade where our our rights are being voted upon. And I think that kind of kicks us back where you're getting a half and half. We're like, oh, we're voting on human rights. But I, you know, have clean drinking water. Like, I mean... We have a public education system. We have a very intricate infrastructure system, but we are still having to struggle with things with like racial inequality, mm-hmm. police brutality, bodily autonomy rights, like those very 
rudimentary things that you think would not be a struggle for a first world country, mm-hmm. quote unquote, in 2022, especially a country being as young as we are that rose to power so quickly, so defiantly compared to every other country in existence ever. Mm-hmm. Like we are so young. We became the number three world power, number one world power in some people's opinions. And me, like it, if it was on a clock within like two seconds, you know, mm-hmm. we just jumped to that position. But I also think it's just such we had our time. We had our time of glory, and it's done. Mm-hmm. I don't think the U.S. can progress further than this. I think we've gotten too big. But, I, I do, like I said, I just want to start off by saying I have reaped the benefits of this first world nation. I know I am lucky for having things as it is. I know I am lucky for not being treated certain ways as a woman. I am lucky for being able to vote. I am lucky for being able to say things that I want, to mm-hmm. have the right of free speech, to have the right to go to school, to have so many opportunities that are not offered to people around the world in my exact position. Mm-hmm. By luck, I was born here. You know, that's not a choice my parents had to make. That is fate, destiny, whatever. But that being said, the U.S., I do not plan on living here as an adult. I will leave. Even if I come back here, Mm -hmm. I would like to spend most of my adult life outside of this country. I think it's deeply flawed, systematically, to an extent that for me at least, without someone really breaking it down and showing me how, would be hard to resolve without a complete like system restart Mm -hmm. and in this hand i'm like an anarchist where i'm like oh my god overflow overthrow the government we the people will take over restart a new government i'm not pro-conflict no one ever wants war Mm -hmm. but i would see the benefit of a conflict of government versus people in the u.s because in my mind we have excelled so quickly so fast in the past 50 years not to mention like a hundred that our government cannot keep up with the societal standards its people hold it to especially like it's so much worse in the united states because we are so big we have such a centralized government to cover billions of people but we have federal laws that we we think can apply to all of them like a blanket. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work like that. There are always going to be outliers. And the bigger the population, the more land you have, the more outliers there are going to be. And the more that central government, that one blanket, is going to cover less and less. So I think ideally, like, oh my gosh, I'm writing a fiction novel. This is the future of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Civil war happens. The country collapses for a little bit. The government collapses. We reform as numerous smaller nations <laughs> that are easily, more easily governed, more easily democratized by the people, mm-hmm. led by the people. And that, like, when you say it out loud, that's literally just what happened in Europe. <laughs> like, it was one big, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Would it be uprise, revolution at all? Kind of, but it was one big, like, kingdom. What's Mm. the word I'm looking for? Like, one big... Nation. Yeah. (laughs) Empire. Mm. One big empire. And eventually, a revolt, a revolution, led to smaller, different ones. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what the U.S. needs. I think it's too big, that too many people with viewpoints that are accelerating and changing and able to be shared 
too often mm-hmm. for one centralized government with a median age of 80 years old to control effectively. Mm-hmm. There's going, I mean, we got so close last two years, starting with the George Floyd. California was in riots for weeks. Mm-hmm. There were There are areas of San Francisco that are still lawless zones controlled by the people that cops and police and law enforcement cannot enter because they're zones controlled by a nation of people within it that are Mm self-governing. Like, they live outside of the law. They have broken against their government and, like, defy them. And then you get, like, the insurrection that almost happened on January 6th. We have never been closer to a revolution and Mm -hmm. a complete breakup of and and we kind of built it ourselves being a two-party system because now you've got oh right or wrong well you've got are you on the left or are you on the right are you red or are you blue and when it comes down to like something like on january 6th well i if you're a conservative and you're supporting what's happening on there you're on the other side of me mm-hmm. and it kind of draws that line so i think the u.s is very flawed needs to be smaller uh i think that's what they're kind of attempting with state government but when state government it's not localized enough mm-hmm. to like actually be effective when you have a federal government that's overpowering them at all every step of the way. So I think, I guess the U.S. is flawed, needs some big changes. Mm-hmm. I'm a, kind of an anarchist when it comes to that. I am all for like, you know, get involved with local politics and make some changes, but I just don't think they can be done on a scale or dramatic level that it would need to be to be truly effective in today's day and age. With you saying that leads me to a couple of interesting questions. First off, would you how you feel about a purge? I just randomly thought about that. What do you think about a purge? Just I think that's kind of stupid. Mm. I don't well, think. I mean, a purge is. I mean, that one like I don't know if you've actually like watched the movies, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's targeting low income. Right. Places. So I mean, I, that would exactly what, how the U.S. would do it if the U.S. had a purge. Like, yeah. Well, it's kind of realistic. It, I would not put that past the U.S. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is definitely classist as well. But I think the purge is totally different. I mean, that's the government giving you the permission mm-hmm. to do things. And at, at that point, you're just giving more power to the government. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And with the idea of protesting and just standing up for what you believe in in these certain things, sometimes you would hear the term peaceful protest. Do you feel that should be a thing at all, or do you feel that any type of protest, whether it's violent or not, is necessary for change? I do think protest is necessary for change, period. I think, and when you say protest, I feel like a lot of people think, you know, going outside, not doing what you're supposed to, like causing a disruption. Mm -hmm. But protest can also be you know, not doing a certain aspect of your job because you think it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I don't, it's hard to think of an example. Let's say I'm a bagger at a grocery store and we just got these new bags and I know they have like a really harmful ingredient in them. Mm-hmm. I will bag with all the other bags. When I run out of bags, I guess I'm not bagging. That's a protest. Mm-hmm. But it's not like harmful discom- non-compliance, you know. I feel like Protests can be peaceful, and peaceful protests are important, valuable, and can be impactful. Mm -hmm. But I don't think real change can be done with only peaceful protests, especially when 
the powers that be, the fists that's crushing, mm-hmm. don't follow those standards themselves. It's not like they're looking out for you. No, they will put their knee on your neck and suffocate you. Even Literally. if you're just sitting there being a good kid, mm-hmm. being a good person. You're doing what you're supposed to. I'm not causing anyone any harm. I'm not doing anything wrong, but that would still cost me my life. And I feel like it's always been like that. You're not peaceful. It's a, um idyllic thing. Mm-hmm. It's nice in theory, but it's never in actuality going to be what can make the change. It's a good stepping stone. Definitely understandable. And Anna, do you have any views on just the United States or politics or anything that Shay was talking about? Right. So um, I think the biggest thing for me, the most annoying thing is the idea that the Constitution hasn't been rewritten in so many years. Because, I mean, that's like, it's a pretty basic one, but it's, it's so important because, I mean, it was written so long ago. And with every generation that we have, which is also why I think it's important to have young people in office, because each generation moves towards something that is now seen as more like free, more justified, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I feel like with the Constitution not being rewritten, from the times that there were, you know, women, like, you know, didn't work, they mm-hmm. weren't allowed to, they couldn't vote, to the times that there was literally slavery, and it hasn't been rewritten since then, is absolutely ridiculous, because how, how do you expect the country to move forward when you can't even do that? And it's so hard to change the Constitution, too. Like, it's extremely hard to change it. So, yeah, we had, like, Roe v. Wade, which mm-hmm. was a precedent for all court cases after, because abortion was ruled as, you know, like, legal. Mm-hmm. And then... Because it was, you know, we couldn't put it in the Constitution. Like, I mean, it'd be so hard to put it in the Constitution because that's just how the U.S. Constitution was written mm-hmm. and that's how the U.S. works. Um, it was so easy to, you know, reverse that and step backwards. So, like, just not rewriting it opens us up to stepping backwards so often. And um, I think the two-party system is another thing that's really messed up because you, I, Shay said it, like, once, like, you're either right or wrong in, uh, in people's eyes. So there's actually a guy, I think his name is Andrew Yang. Mm-hmm. I just searched him up because I wanted to make sure that I got that right. But yeah, so Andrew Yang, he does like a an independent party and he runs as an independent party. And um, there's not a lot of support for it because it's independent and we're in the U.S., right? But it's, a, it's called the Common Sense Party and it kind of meets things in the middle. And I wanted to talk about this because there's, an, there's a couple of interviews where people will be interviewing him and they'll be like, okay, so what's your stance on it? Are, do, like, allow guns or don't allow guns? And he's like, well, the common sense answer of having more restrictions on them and having, like, you know, limits and stuff. And then the guy was like, well, how would you expect to get votes if you won't take a stance on it? And he said, I just took a stance. And he's like, no, you didn't. Guns or no guns. And that's exactly how the U.S. is. Yes. Like, it's that's a really good all analogy. or nothing always. And that's, like, and it's how... not a solution. No, no, not, not at all. Not a solution at all. So I mean, how, in that specific case, like... There are more guns in the United States than people. Yeah. There are <laughs> numerous people who have an entire armory of yeah, guns right. for themselves. There's no, there's no way any politician ever could say, I am no gun. I am anti-gun. Because <laughs> it's unrealistic. Yeah, it's right. unrealistic. There's, there's, even if the whole nation were to wake up and say, you know what? Yeah, we'll agree to that. No guns. What about the ones who acquired it, like, for bad reasons? Right. Like, who are fine with breaking the law? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, you're doing a buyback program? I don't care. I'm going to rob with my gun. <laughs> like, and there's a whole... D- it's just unrealistic to ever expect to be gun or no gun. 
there's yeah. that's not an option at this point we've yeah. created a environment that is unobtainable without guns mm-hmm. and you know one of the things that you know there was supposed to be the big red wave <laughs> this last election and one of the reasons that it didn't happen is because when um, you know, the Republican side would take a, a stance on abortion and they would say, absolutely no abortion, no exception. That's like a lot of people are pro-life or pro-birth actually more like, but, um, and one of the reasons that they couldn't get the votes is because they, even for rape, incest, things like that, they would take a hard stance on no, no abortions. So like, even there, if you had met in the middle, mm-hmm. I can almost guarantee that that like that Republicans could have won a lot more seats than they did. I mean, in the U.S., like, I mean, in Michigan, like, you know, Governor Whitmer, like, one of the big selling points, Prop 3, everything, was abortion. So imagine if... That's why I voted for her. Right. Imagine if Dixon had changed the narrative and said, you know, I'm pro-birth. I'm pro-life, as they would say. Um, So, but I don't think that, like, rape and incest should be like you should be able to have an abortion for that and that alone wouldn't have been enough to sway me right at least a little at least a little bit right i wouldn't have hated her as much as i did so it's that's like the big thing in the u.s that just it just really gets me (laughs) because it's all or nothing always and so you're on one side and you have to be on that one side and it radicalizes all of the presidents because a president is not going to run in a middle ground because they're not going to get votes. Mm-hmm. They have to take a hard stance on everything to get the vote. That's like so, why the independent and green parties will never succeed. Will never succeed. They can only take away votes from the other two parties, which as anti-two party system as I am, it's harmful Yeah. more than it's beneficial to have a third party right. at this point. At this point it is. Exactly. Because it just takes away Exactly. And if let's just say that you had someone that was independent leaning, but they chose to run for a certain party, like that party would lose. Right. <laughs> like it just, it's, they can say, and then like once they get into, like you'll notice that once they get into office, mm-hmm. they start saying, we're going to have a bipartisan bill. We're going to like, we're going to work together on this. But when they're going into office, like getting elected, it's straight Democratic views, like right. nothing else or straight Republican views, nothing else. And it just, it, as we continue, it's just gotten continuously worse with it, like, of the separation of the two parties. And um, I just, that's, like, that's just one thing that really gets me. Mm-hmm. And then what else about the U.S. that really makes me angry? <laughs> um, I, you kind of missed a little bit of mine. I was saying that I think the U.S. is too big to properly function with as many people like if you think about every other country that's our size mm-hmm. the only two countries that are near our size are china and india and that's in population china is closest to us in land size or china india and russia mm-hmm. yeah, china and russia are closest <laughs> to us in land size india and china are closest to us in population size not a single one of those countries are a functioning democracy right it's not realistic Ooh, to have that many people under one rule there's going to be too many differing stances or too many different ideologies to rule them in a democratic process it has to be like you see with russia china india either complete total collapse lack of infrastructure like we see with india Mm. or complete control over the population and infrastructure like you see with russia or china right and the u.s is seeing all of the problems that russia and china are avoiding by being yeah. Communist style, dictator style, 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against communism. It's a whole different conversation <laughs> when it's executed properly, which it's not being done right now. Which it is really hard to. Pretty much impossible. It's pretty much impossible, yeah. Right. Yeah. But, like, that's why they operate their countries in the way they do to avoid the problems the U.S. is seeing right now. Yeah. Without backlash from its people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I think a couple of things. So... It's possible, I, I don't think it's impossible for the U.S. to be the size that it is and be how, like, be as it is. But, I mean, like, when you think about it, what is, uh, what is the thing called when it's, because when, okay, so we're not completely democratic because we vote and then someone takes all of our votes and decides for us who votes. What is that called? I can't remember. It's the process of it. It's like, checks and balances? No. Checks and balances are good, but um, it's, shoot, I can't think of it, but it was made a long time ago because people didn't think, the founding fathers did not think that the average person's vote should count because- oh, electoral college. Electoral college, there you go. Because the average person wasn't smart enough to vote for themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. They weren't educated enough. And now, like this is another thing of the constitution was made all the way back then, things are very obviously different now. We still have the electoral college now that we have all of the education that and all of the connectedness through internet through everything to get educated on the topics to know for ourselves who we'd vote for and the electoral college is still in place. How does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. It's been years that needs to be abolished because people are very much now well educated enough. I mean even people that aren't like they that you see that you're exposed to the media all the time. You have internet. Most people do or at least like are exposed to the internet like there should not be an idea that people are not educated enough to vote for themselves so like the the whole idea like i mean the popular vote can lose and that's already it's happened yeah (laughs) so many times that is so fucked up like (laughs) like so that's one other thing that i really hate and then i don't know anyone who has been like yeah the electoral college is a great system. I'm <laughs> right. so glad we have that and yeah. that the popular vote can fail. Right. And not only can fail, but does, does fail. fail. Yeah. Pretty often. Pretty often. Like about 50% of the time. I swear. <laughs> so, and then the last thing, and then also like demo- our democracy is so much more fragile than people think mm-hmm. because when you think of the, the insurrection on January It takes 6th, one like, position. It was a bunch of people that said... We are not accepting that this person won. Right. And then the democracy, like... We want they, this person to win. They went there, what? I mean, like, one of the goals of them going there was... Take control. To kill the vice president, too. Like, they right. had a plan to kill the vice president. Like, it's ridiculous. And I just... I, I think that's... I mean, that threatened democracy, like, the U.S.'s democracy in general. Mm-hmm. And it also lost so much, like, trust and confidence in our voting system because so many people were so influenced by the fact that they thought it was rigged. Right. So, I mean, right there, just like that, like that lost so many people. Like so many people are now like, I'm not gonna vote. It doesn't even matter because it's rigged. Like, right. and all that took was like one powerful voice and a decision that they weren't gonna hand over power. Right. So democracy just, I mean, there's, there's flaws that go into it that, like, maybe if those were taken away, maybe we wouldn't be seeing the U.S. as, like, being so fragile with it. But they refuse to change things because it's too hard for them. And because the two-party system makes it really, really hard to change things. So that's pretty much the U.S. in my eyes. <laughs> and as much as I hate, like, 
the premise of everything that happened on January 6th. I hate the ideology behind it. I am all for the people throwing over the government if they don't agree with the government's views. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the job of the U.S. citizen. It's like, technically, I right. mean, that's what the Constitution says. people. Said, is that you're, if we think something is wrong, then we're supposed to work to change it. So. I'm that bitch who memorized the preamble. That's right. the part of the Constitution <laughs> that says we the people. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, like, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's just, it is a very fragile democracy. And I wish it didn't take it's overthrowing so f- the government to get things done. I wish that's not I what it took. I agree that I wish that's not what it took. I but just, they can't it change is, anything. And it's so hard to even do that. Like, the government is so big. It would be so hard to it would the be. government. No, it, it would. It would be just complete anarchy for at least a couple years. And, oh, my gosh. Like, just collapse. They have us fighting against each other. They have, us, they have every single person in this country fucking fighting against each other instead of fighting against the person that's causing all these problems because it's the government that's causing the problems. And we decide to fight with each other because I'm, you know, let's just say, like, I'm not Republican. But let's say I was Republican and you're, you know, Democratic. And now we're mad at each other. Just for that we, fact. Just for that. Right. And it's the government. Like, it's like... We were posed against each other, yeah. I had a very (laughs) interesting conversation just like that where I was getting to that conclusion, like, hey, take a second, think. We have a common enemy here. (laughs) Like, enemy of my enemy is my friend type of thing. Yeah. I was talking to a police officer, and I am a part of the population that thinks the police should be defunded. And I'm not saying completely taken funding, funding away completely, I'm saying maybe reallocating those funds towards different state departments Mm -hmm. or different resources that may be more applicable to situations that traditionally police would be dispatched to, like mental health professionals, Mm -hmm. paramedics instead of ambulances, or having medical teams be first responders to mental health crises, or rather than cops, you know, rather than force. I feel like cops have a specific job and they are currently being forced and funded to, to do, do things so that they shouldn't. That they shouldn't. That shouldn't be, be their responsibility. <laughs> no. Right. No. So I had a conversation with a police officer about this where I was like, you know, I, I, I don't think you guys need $8 billion a year for defense training. Like, how many defense training classes did you take? And he said one. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Why was that $8 billion? For his department in Chicago. The, the police department of Chicago, yes, that's a really big police department. That's, mm-hmm. like, biggest in the nation, one of them. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, how useful also is that really? that have the worst most, rep. Yeah, I most mean, issues, yeah. Right. And he was a police officer who was not seeing those issues. And I was like, okay, let's, let's take a step back. Let's say you got someone robbed a corner store. I'm sorry. Who, like, robbed a corner store. You're going to arrest them because they robbed, right? Mm-hmm. Why did they rob? Can we think about like what put them in that position? What like what in your society made these people feel like they it was rob and risk rotting in jail for the rest of their life, losing their kids, losing their job, losing whatever they've got right now mm-hmm. for that loaf of bread or what the fuck ever the cash full of a drawer full of cash. So are you gonna blame that person or the systems that made them feel like that was their only option for survival? Right. And he was like, oh, well, obviously I blame, okay, okay, so let's keep going. Let's say you go to that person's house and they are in shambles. Like, it's everything bad you could ever think. This kid's abused. This kid doesn't go to school. This kid is, like, every bad thing you can think of has been set up against him. You're still going to blame him for stealing 
and you think he should go rot in prison forever? And he's like, well, no, it's like what got him in that position. Like he should have been helped more. I was like, okay, but he wasn't. And so now he's in this position. So do you really think that this kid is the enemy? Or do you think what put him in this position should be addressed instead? Mm -hmm. And he, we both agreed. So, but he still wouldn't go back to like, he just couldn't wrap his mind around the police getting less money. And I do think it is hard for society to exist without a police. You need authority. You need enforcement. You need rules but i think they have too much power right now and like it just goes back to the i mean common enemy the government needs complete total reform and you need to spread the power too like you said like you want to define like your idea of defunding police is defunding them and and reallocating yeah like people that would deal with things that are that they're extremely trained and understanding of. Right. So, like, mental health in general. Like, I've, uh, the teacher that I had in high school that everyone hated, like, my whole community hated, um, he showed us, like, a video of this woman on the highway, and she had walked out of the store with a bag full of, or, like, with a couple items because she had dementia. So, like, she literally, or, like, no, I don't think it was schizophrenia. It was schizophrenia, so it was, like, a mental thing. Like, and she walked out with it because, you know, and then someone called the police because she was stealing like from the store Mm -hmm. and they found her on the side of the highway walking and she got literally tackled to the ground and like she got injured from it she got forced back into like and then she got put in jail for like a night before someone came to be like hey and if you had someone that was trained to deal with people with mental health disorders versus the police that are trained to deal with people committing crimes like because that's not a crime like they didn't commit a crime like they there was a crime committed, but, but not with a ill intention yeah. of committing that crime. Right. And it, like, police are trained to use force. Mm-hmm. They are trained to enforce things. But in reality, they are public servants. And I feel like in that specific situation, like with the dementia person. Schizophrenic. Schizophrenic. I messed up. Right. That's a health problem. With mental. anyone who's mentally ill and the police are being dispatched, there is a large amount of blame that can go to the police. Mm-hmm. But we have to, like like I said, just keep going further. Who sent the police there? Who told the police that it was a good idea to handle that? Mm-hmm. Why were there no other options? Yeah. Why was someone not better equipped to handle that situation sent there in the first place? Mm-hmm. And then you go back to central government. Like, yeah. it just yeah. complete it- systematic reform is needed so direly that, in my opinion, that's why I'm, like, kind of pessimistic about it all. And that's where that cop I was talking to and I drew the line like at our differences because he believes there are more good people in the world that will make all these good things happen. And I think it's kind of out of reach at this point yeah. where like the amount of reform that we need in our government and systems and the size that we're dealing with, the amount of people that would have to agree to it yeah. just kind of seems unrealistic to me. Yeah, it does. And like he, like that cop was just like, no, there's good people that want to make the world better. I'm like, yeah, but we're all selfish. Yeah. Like, that's just just part of human nature. And it's a lot of people that are like, well, you know, that has nothing to do with me. Right, yeah, that's like... Yeah, because it's not a close community because they are, and I guess that that comes to play of the big country, lots of people, you're not close-knit at all, like, there's no, like, feeling of community across the whole country that would make people want to stand up together, so... And the further that goes on, like, the larger those divides get between politicians and the regular people and the country's elite and the common working class, the bigger those issues are going to be. Like, they cannot even for a second fathom what it's like to be in the position of the people they are meant to be 
emulating. Yeah. How can you emulate anything when you have not tasted a bit of the struggles yeah. that have made my entire life? Like, mm-hmm. you set foot in privilege from the second you breathed your first breath. But how are you supposed to lead me then? Yeah. You don't know what it's like. Yeah. And I think, like, with it being so big of a country, it's just going to keep being like that. They yeah. don't know what it's like. And everything you guys have talked about, it reminds me of what you said earlier, just a lack of open-mindedness. Like, yeah. even when talking to a police officer and you guys can have some agreement, he couldn't wrap his mind around one of the main points you were making. And just a lot of people in power, they use their power only for themselves. It's like you mentioned, everyone's selfish. Even if someone has a good it's heart. human nature. People are going to want to have the most benefit for themselves. And one of the most interesting things you mentioned earlier, Anna, is just there should be a requirement for young people in office because I know a lot of people have viewpoints on younger people and our mindsets, but what you said that I can, at least I feel is true, is that each generation progresses. Mm -hmm. And with people who are in office who are up there in age and their viewpoints hasn't grown with time, it's going to only set us back. Because as you mentioned, things like the Constitution haven't been rewritten since the time of slavery and things of that nature. And it just shows that we're only going to stay in the positions we're in unless someone and something changes. And it's not as easy as just changing one's opinion or changing a rule. I'm not fully, I'm not against a government, the government needing a reform. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's going to take so much time for one to get people to agree with that two for people to care about it and really to move forward because even for reform happens they still have to build that foundation back up to go towards something better so and think about like how long it's taken us to get like it was illegal to be gay less than a decade ago yeah yeah less than a decade ago but that's so normal now like Mm -hmm. it's very common and again that goes back to the first world thing like that's here it's not normal everywhere. Mm-hmm. But for a place that considers themselves a first world country, we consider ourselves so advanced, we're still voting on rights. Yeah. Equality. Bodily autonomy. <clears throat> Another thing about not having young people in office is that when you are young and you're looking up to the people that are in office and they have outdated views, then it keeps those views going. Yeah. Because they're not, you can't be like... Prompted if you're, to evolve. Yeah, because if you're just looking at the older generation for their views... And you're like, let's just say, my mom was like, hey, you're Democratic, so just follow everything that's Democratic. And I looked up and I seen the people up there that were doing the like Democratic things, talking about the viewpoints that they have as an older person. I'm just going to believe it because like that's yes. how I was raised. So yes. like over and over again, we just see it. And that's how most being people start, influence. I feel like, their political oh, yeah. opinions and journeys is like, you start as what your parents are. Yeah. And when you get to a certain age, you can either agree or start to drift away from that Mm -hmm. and it's like hit or miss like some people never talk to their families again yeah because they start to develop like a mind of their own Mm -hmm. and some people never do (laughs) right and some people just never do that part develop a mind of their own well i just think this because that's what i've always thought it's what everyone i've always known has always thought everyone i love and respect thinks this so why wouldn't i and one of the main things that happens in as well is religion and that's how a lot of people get their viewpoints just off of what they're told or what they believe is true because it's all they know. Mm-hmm. And 
I'll ask both of you, do you have any specific viewpoints on religion in general? Are y'all religious at all? Do y'all believe in certain things? You just want all my hot takes. Of I course I do. That's so why we're here. Interesting. We need it all. So definitely you can start us off, Shay, and then Anna, if you have some viewpoints as well. I would love to hear both of you guys' opinions on this. Well, I think there's a lot of parallels that you can see with um, the government and religion, mm-hmm. even though it was created in spite of that. And I think that's kind of ironic with, uh, I don't know, you just think about following the Bible. There's a janitor out there. <laughs> you're following the Bible, which is a book written however long ago, 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. You're following the Constitution, which is a page written 200 years ago. This just comes to when you're following and leading your life based on outdated things. Mm-hmm. I think it leads to a lot of complications. I think I am privileged enough to have a very unique perspective on religion. My parents both came from religious families themselves. Mm -hmm. And when I say, like, very religious, like, almost fanatic. Mm. Shut up. (laughs) Siri. Say Siri wants to be a part of the interview as well. (laughs) But, um, like, I think that pushed them further away from their religions more than anything. Mm. And therefore, when they had kids, they were very adamant that we not only not be religious, but have an open mind to them because a lot of our family still was. So my dad comes from a large family of Catholics and my mom comes from a large family period. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> my mom, my mom's mom, my grandma is one of five sisters. Each of those five sisters has a different religion. Mm. And you know, that's my grandma. So most of our family tree is from those five women. Mm-hmm. And their kids and there's kids' kids. And now there's kids' kids' kids mm-hmm. who are following the religion of those five women. Mm-hmm. So you got one Catholic, one Christian, one atheist, one Jehovah's Witness, and one, um, what's it called? It starts with the Pentecostal. Mm. So it's just a big mix, but a lot of very opinionated Catholicism-based views. And growing up seeing that, was very eye-opening, I think, as someone who didn't already believe it. Because mm. if I was with the kids who did, I could see our differences. And it was almost um, like they had a lot of the questions I had answered, but their answers didn't make sense. So I'm like, so what sense does this make? How does this happen? Well, that's God. Mm. I'm like, oh, okay. What about this person that says it's not God? And they're like, well, he's wrong. So then you got to pick a side, and it gets hard because then you get stuff like evolution. Mm-hmm. And that was a big thing when I was, like, in, like, fourth or fifth grade. I remember talking about that. Like, my mom says we come from monkeys. My mom says we come from God. So which one is it? And that's, like, a... And this makes and you pick kinda, a side, similar to that, the and, government. Right, and that <laughs> picks a rail for, like, your entire life of, oh, am I more science-based or am I more faith-based? Mm-hmm. And as someone who grew up without a religion... Neither of my parents are religious. So my mom is just doesn't care. She's agnostic, you know, atheist, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. My dad is agnostic but leads towards Buddhism. So he has more of a philosophy-based faith, faith, philosophy-based faith. Mm-hmm. But both of those led to me being, like, the strongest agnostic ever. Where <laughs> I just feel like it, I'm not at liberty to say. There could be something out there. There could not be something out there. I don't think I am at any type of intellectual level or liberty of authority to say who's right, who's wrong, which one is correct, which one is absolutely not. And I don't think anyone is, and I don't think I'll ever know. 
And it also has taken a little bit of fear away from the idea of death for me because I kind of want to know what happens. Really? But I'm not like jumping to die. I'm just not scared of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something people use religion to search for for a lot of their life. Mm-hmm. So I feel thankful that it's something I came to on my own. Like, without religion, but also it is religion. It's the lack of religion that mm-hmm. is giving me that almost bit of faith to wonder what's out there, that curiosity of keep looking for answers and not be settled and satisfied by one set of rules or one particular perspective, like by Catholicism or Hinduism or being Islamic. All of those offer answers to the universe. The universe's question, what happens when you die? What's the purpose of life? Why are we here? What mm-hmm. are we supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be doing with my kids? I can create life. Does that mean I'm God? I thought, but did God must have given me that power? Because, like, where did it come from? There's just answers that no one could ever know. And to comfort that unknown, they made answers. Mm-hmm. And I guess some of them were pretty popular. And that's my opinion on religion. Like, <laughs> to answer the world's unknowns, people wanted answers. I think a really good example of this, do you know where the island of Crete is? I'm not familiar, mm-hmm. no. Do you? It's in the Mediterranean. So, in the Med- island of Crete, think back to, like, ancient Greek times. The ancient Greeks believed that Zeus came down, impregnated this woman... That's horrible because he's married to Hera. Hera curses the woman. So mm-hmm. the baby that comes out was like half beast. No, she turns, she turns the lady into a cow. Mm. So when the lady has her kid, the kid's half cow, half man. All fucked up. He's evil. He's mean. He wants to kill people. The doctor that was like pulling him out, he got his hand bit off by this beast in the story. Mm. So it's just this horrible thing. They don't know what to do with him. No one can control him because he's like half God. He's this monster. He's sent to curse all the people for being unfaithful whatever mm-hmm. in the story they built a labyrinth under the island and locked the minotaur the monster in there forever and every time he roars the ground shakes they have to send people to him as sacrifices or bad things will happen he'll break down their world their society in reality crete the island sits over the most active tectonic plates in the world mm. they have more earthquakes anywhere else in the globe they experience the ground shaking the world rumbling around them more than anyone and back in those ancient times what the fuck is causing that (laughs) there's gotta be some type of monster underneath us shaking shit we're making him mad what do we do Mm -hmm. cool throw throw people into the sacrificial pit it must make him happy because the the shaking stopped and now you've got a whole group of people that think because you threw those people in the pit the shaking stopped but Science-wise, those were earthquakes, and they weren't correlated. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. So it's easy for people to have these great unanswered questions and be comforted by answers they can create with religion. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was never uncomfortable not having those answers. Mm -hmm. So I never sought after religion in that mindset. It's one of... um, it's the topic of one of the papers I've wrote. I've uh, mentioned it to Sky, sent it to him to get his opinion. It was pretty much, it was about, it was for a scholarship. And the prompt was, why do you feel people believe things about COVID that are proven not true? Hey, I have also started that. <laughs> <laughs> and my whole thing, I titled it, like, why? The wants and need for a reason. And my whole point of the paper, I compared it to people who believe in zodiac signs. 
And whether one of the main points before I get on the tangent of the main thing was that you can judge someone's beliefs because as easily as you can question their beliefs, they can question yours. And the main point I made was that if someone, let's say they say, I don't know, a Gemini, all Geminis are bad. And you look at them like, why? I, I don't. Is that one of y'all? <laughs> I tried to Which guess one whichever one. Which one of us? I have no idea. Uh, any, meeny, miny, you? Mm-hmm. Question mark. Okay. <laughs> so it's like I, I don't know. Um, Anna is a Gemini, to be clear. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm looking like I don't, I don't know. I only know mine because somebody told me. I'm a Sagittarius. But, really? Are you a Leo? No, I'm a Taurus. Interesting. Yeah. I, that. I wouldn't have either. And. The main point I was making in this paper was that if Gemini someone just made your point right there, when... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. If Go someone goes through a lot of bad experiences, let's say a Taurus, like, oh, I've, I've dated five or six Tauruses and they've all treated me a certain way. People don't want to go through bad actions over and over again. So they create this reasoning like it must be because of this. So then they choose to not follow those actions no more to avoid being hurt. So it's never okay to me to bash someone because of their beliefs or just different opinions because like i said i don't have i don't know anything about zodiac signs i don't personally believe in them but somebody does because of certain things Mm -hmm. so the only reason they're going to believe those things is through their experiences Mm -hmm. yeah it's very similar excuse me i'm sorry to um we looked into my with my anthropology integrative social studies class mm-hmm. that is just an anthropology class <laughs> that looked into this the logic and science behind stereotypes and okay. it's just what you said like repeated actions to confirm a bias against yep. a group of people bias. but you can't generalize an entire group of people mm-hmm. off of a small sample group Definitely or agree. that's by book what a stereotype is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. versus a generalization which are different definitely yeah, yeah I did a TED Talk about <laughs> how um, people are really easy to believe things that, like, like let's say, because you're a woman, right? Let's say you're a feminist, okay? If I said, you hate all men, and I went around telling that to people, and I was like, yeah, she hates all men. <laughs> and then um, you said something, like, man, these like men just don't get it or something. Someone's going to sit there and be like, she hates all men because she's like, a feminist. Right. She just said that. Because I heard Anna say that she hates all men and then she just said, oh my God, men do this. That literally means she hates all men. Yeah. So like, it's just a continuous right. confirmation bias. So this, that's why stereotypes, I mean, thrive. But yes. <laughs> you find one There's person a whole that fits that stereotype. This. But yeah. I highly recommend ISS 310. <laughs> it can open a whole can of worms and just talking about these things because you got to go into the mindset on how they get there. Right. And mm-hmm. there's always an origin to some of even the worst things on in the world, there's always a pinpoint of something that happens. And I brought up to Sky, I don't know if you guys heard me when I brought it up to him, but when they made the newest Jeffrey Dahmer thing on Netflix, that one, I felt that I wasn't a fan of it just because of like the families, they said they didn't want it to be made again. And it was very evident that- Still a fresh wound. There was no need for it to be reopened again with it being a fresh wound. But I did acknowledge the fact that even if I don't like the series, it shows in the show that how, where did he start from? How did his mindset build to this? Because I didn't, all I knew was Jeffrey Dahmer. I knew his name and knew what he did, but I never knew that like he grew up a certain way, he got in this and that. And they only, they addressed that in like episode and a half because I didn't watch the series because yeah. I wasn't a fan of it or, or of it being produced. But just in one episode and then half of another one, they go through everything that led to the points that he got to. And it's just, it shows that and everything, there's people don't just believe in these things for no reason, and these things don't happen just out of nowhere. So, 
I do feel like specifically with the Jeffrey Dahmer thing, it was a bit of morbid curiosity mm-hmm. that drew people. I mean, that's what everyone's got a humanity. It's like a natural thing to have a bit of morbid curiosity. Like I, it makes sense to be fascinated with serial killers. But when you give them a spotlight and almost sensationalize and idolize Mm -hmm. and memorialize them for something so vile and wicked as being a serial killer, serial killers were not a thing forever. Like, in terms of history, serial killers are a very new thing. (laughs) Like... There's going to be, like, right, like, there's going to be historical anomalies, like Jack the Ripper. Mm -hmm. We all know what Jack the Ripper is. He's, like, the first serial killer ever. He did not kill that many people. Mm -hmm. He was a really big deal because that wasn't a thing. People did not go around murdering for fun. But when the idea is put in their head, oh, this person's doing it. This is how they did it. This is why they did it. I kind of align with those things, and I think that's kind of possible. Good idea. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I feel like that's exactly all the Jeffrey Dahmer things have ever done. They show how he did it, how he got away with it, what he did to avoid the police. Yeah. And then they sensationalize him for being this horrible monster. And like, yes, he was a horrible... Right, it normalizes being a se- fucking serial killer. Like <laughs> so many things that, like, learning about it and hearing it over and over again normalize it to, like, you know, you know just make people not feel, like, empathy about it is insane. Like... I mean, the school shooter thing, like, I mean, Scott's been talking about it, but, like, putting it a lot in, like, the media and stuff, like, he didn't want to go, like, he went to, I don't know. I think it was for the Oxford, the Oxford Oxford shooting, shooting, yeah. And he didn't want, he was scared that he was going to do more harm than good because he was, you know, reporting on a a person, and it might make other people feel like they would be, you know, talked about if they went and shot a bunch of people, and the people that don't get attention because they're bullied in high school might look at that and be like, oh, yeah. I'm going to do that because at least then I'll be remembered as someone. Right, yeah, exactly. So, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's also it's, the systems that brought that kid down mm-hmm. that would bring him to that. And then you sensualize, like... It's, and it's lack of change after these things. Yeah. After the change, first... Yeah, after Columbine. Yeah. After Jeffrey Dahmer. What changed? Yeah. What were the big system... Like, you hear of an Amber Alert. That's because of a little girl named Amber. So, like, what are the big systematic changes that went into place after we caught this horrible serial killer? Mm -hmm. What are the big systematic changes that went into place after dozens of children were murdered at a state institution, like a school? Like, there haven't been. So I feel like there's just really no upside of making movies about... Or, like, even... do Have you guys seen American Horror Story? I know what it is. I've never seen it, no. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, good for you guys, but <laughs> I really loved that show and it kind of fed into that fa- like that morbid fascination curiosity thing. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to like making movies like Jeffrey Dahmer or a scene in American Horror Story where they like role like he goes through and role plays as one of the shooters of like, that Columbine. There have been movies about Columbine, and people know, like, the footsteps the shooters took. Like, they went in the door, then when they went on this hallway, then they went in the library. I don't know if you guys know, a lot of the people killed in Columbine were killed in the library. They were Mm -hmm. hiding there. Mm. So they went, the shooters went through knocking chairs out of the way. Oh, you were hiding. 
Yeah. Flipping tables over, oh, found you. And then they reacted that in American Horror Story. And that was like reading about it and seeing someone hiding behind a desk dressed as a student with their hands over their mouth, crying, shaking, pissing themselves. Because, and then to see a, a desk flipped over and get shot, it's different to see it on TV than to see it on TV and know that that just happened. Mm-hmm. And that that's how it was done. Like, yeah. you're, it's a step-by-step guide. Yeah. Like, it, it normalizes it, but also adds a whole nother level of fear and gives ideas. Like, yes, I knew about Columbine, but just like someone who knew about Columbine that is at risk to recreate it, I didn't know how it was done. Right. I didn't know the logistics of it. Mm-hmm. And if I was in the opposite position, like someone who's been bullied my entire life, I see that scene, I'm like, man, I would love to see my bully in that position, pissing themselves, crying at my feet. That right. gets to the wrong person. And I feel like just sensationalizing those types of things is just, there aren't a good side other than satisfying that curiosity. I want to talk about my view on religion real quick because I never got to say Oh, I'm anything. sorry. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> but, um, okay, so I only have beef with religion because of how governments use religion. I think religion in general generally just gives people morals. It tells you, like, you know, don't murder people. And then people follow those rules because they're like, you know, I mean, first of all, I mean, I think it started out as people follow those rules because they wanted to go to heaven. Now they follow the rules because they're just morally, they just know, like, you don't want to take the life away from another person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of how it's evolved. So now, like, it's not so much as, huh, if I just don't kill this person, I'll go to heaven. So, like, that's only good for me. But now people actually think about the other person a little bit more when it comes to that, like, the morals. But I think governments have used it since it was made to, like, control. Like, I mean... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, I to mean... control the masses. Yeah, so, I mean, when you think of, like... I think... I don't want to be wrong, but, like, when they translated the Bible, you know, from Latin the first time, mm-hmm. and they, they only had the people in charge know what the Bible actually said, and then everyone else was too uneducated and poor to know what the Bible actually said because they didn't know Latin Mm -hmm. or they didn't know the language it was translated into. So they got to change a bunch of stuff from that Bible to use it against people. Yeah, to fit their own needs and agendas. And like, so that's why there was things like what, um, like you had to pay to get your like pedophile being turned into, um, homosexual. Yeah, yeah, that too. Like, there was so many things that were, like, like lost in fact. translation. Like, that is not even up for argument. Yeah. That was 100% a translation error. Yeah. And, but people still base their entire lives off that. Yeah, right. Like, it's like it's against God to be gay, but, like, really it said, what, a man lay with a child? Right? Yeah. It's, so, man, a man lay with a boy. Man lay with man is what it was translated to. Uh-huh. But originally it said a man should not lay with a boy. Right. Like, so, a little boy. Like, a child. Right. Or man should not lay with child. So, I think, like, that, it just, it was just so early on that people realized that you could use religion to control people, and that's why I got beef of it. Because it's, um, there was that, so there was that example of it, and then there was also the one where you had to pay to get your, your loved ones into heaven, which was classist because, I mean, you know, obviously if you're poor, and then if you're thinking, oh my gosh, I can either starve or like I can like or I can either buy food or I can starve and get my mom into heaven. At that time when you don't know any better, 
you're gonna pay for your mom to get into heaven. So right. like people would spend their entire freaking life savings to get their mom into heaven when there was no Plain God. And ignorance. God did not sit there. Money is a man-made thing. God would not have sat there and been like, yeah, you need to give them money to get your loved one into heaven. That makes absolutely no sense. Mm-hmm. But being in an uneducated situation where an educated person is telling you, or an educated but like you know powerful person is telling you, this is what this is what it is. This is what God says. Like you're gonna believe it. Mm-hmm. So like. And then there was, you know, the Crusades, which is a huge example. And a lot of people actually get really mad about that one if you bring it up. But, like, Crusades, you were told, hey, if you go fight in this war, you're going to go to heaven. So then people went to war with each other for that. I mean, Palestine and Israel right now, I mean, there's a, Thinking it's a little bit Thinking they're doing something in the name of religion. In the name of religion. For other people. For, yeah, exactly. So, like, it, it's like a justification to do really horrible things. Like a things. martyr. Yeah. So, like, that I don't like. Um, in the U.S., the only thing that I... Because religion in the U.S., like, I think it is used in powerful ways a lot. But I think one of the worst ways is not between the separation of church and state. Just for the fact that, like, the whole abortion <coughs> thing was made to be, like, kind of, you has know, religious. Has religious basis, yeah. Yeah, has religious basis. So uh, that's, that's my beef with religion. I really don't like it that way. And then um, there's a theory, and this one also makes people really, really mad, but... Um, I've learned about it a couple times, so I'm going to mention it anyways, but the Bible Belt, have you ever heard of keeping the Bible Belt uneducated purposely? Lately. I'm not familiar. I've heard of that as, like, a theory. So there's, the Bible Belt is, like, in the south, it's, like, the couple country, or, like, not country, states, right, right there, that's in the southern part of the, um, states. It's a very specific line of states. Yeah, I can't remember, I don't know which ones it is. Like, Louisiana, Missouri, um, most of Appalachia. Yeah, so, like, all those areas, though, um, you're, there's so much indoctrination into Christianity that um, they use, like, Christianity so hard on their kids that the kids grow up and stay uneducated for the fact that they don't, like, their parents can say, like, oh, well, this goes against my religion, like, for you to learn about, like, yeah. birth control, for you to learn about all these things. So, like, they're, they just stay uneducated because they were indoctrinated into, like, a really, really stiff, like religion, like with mm-hmm. no, I mean, and, and when all your neighbors think that same way, Great. it would be so hard for you to get yourself educated enough to find out that, you know, birth control isn't just something that God says no to, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, and then that right there just keeps, um, like certain beliefs that aren't true valid in this in those areas so that's like the whole idea of and it. i think that's very important is like when you're talking about like it's kids mm-hmm. it's when you're growing up and you're trying to decipher the world around you that is so much that is just so much <laughs> yeah. and you and especially you in a t- to get out of that in today's world like you just want answers especially when you can hear about so many bad things happening all the time you just want answers. You, if you look for your parents for those answers and their answers are religion, that's, you're going to bank yeah. on that. That's yeah. what you build your belief system on. Yeah. And personally, like when I got to that in retros- introspective age where I was like, why are bad things happening in the world? Mm-hmm. I didn't have religion as the answer. As a fallback, yeah. yeah. And in a way, I kind of in turn blamed religion, which I don't think is very fair. But it it is what, like, it's what made, like, my parents weren't ever pushing a religion on me, Mm -hmm. but they also weren't weren't like, oh, you have to know about religion. They were just like, she don't know. It's fine. Yeah. She's fine. So when I got to that age where I was like, 
why are all these bad things happening? And I had to ask my parents, like, so if God is real, why did the Holocaust happen? Why do babies get brain cancer? Why are babies raped? Like, that is such a vile thing. Like, why are, like, you hear, you watch any episode of Law and Order, why do those things happen? Why are, is there so much hate and evil? And there are religious justifications to those things that, like, religious people I grew up with would offer. But, like, the world is a hard and evil place. And, like, for me, that's what really drew the line with religion. Like, I don't think an all-merciful, all-loving God could also be all-knowing. And in religion, that's what he is. Yeah. Because how could he be all-knowing but allow all those terrible things? Yeah. And a lot of the things you two are talking about are very understandable gripes or questions to have. And while I'm not, I'm not the most knowledgeable about things, like I'm not um, knowledgeable about some of the things you both mentioned, I do know that at the end of the day, these are questions that sometimes don't have answers, sometimes yeah. do. One of the things, because I've asked my dad the same thing, and he's a minister, and we're a religious family, we're Christian. Mm-hmm. And the response that he gave was that, if I'm, I'm pretty sure it was from him. But the response that I'm pretty sure he gave and most Christians give is that God gives us free will. That's so that's an answer. Like, yes, that's all the answer I always got so as a kid. Yeah. When, what happens when that answer isn't enough? Like, if that isn't enough for someone, then where do we go from there? And usually, sadly, it ends up to just, oh, like, shunning them. Like, don't talk about it no more. We don't ask questions no more. But these questions are necessary for growth. Whether that brings someone to the religion or not, those questions are necessary to give light on. Even if you don't have the answers, it's good to talk about them and get that expression out there. Because everybody's not going to believe in the same thing. And that's okay. It should be okay. But, yeah. Yeah, and it kind of hurts, like, as a person when you're sitting there and you're thinking, am I, like, because I've had this whole thought. Because a lot of people find religion because they see themselves as a bad person. And they want to figure out, like, what they can do to, like, make themselves feel like they're doing things right. So they follow a religion because they have a community of people telling you, if you follow this religion, then you're a good person. And I think that's something that, like, kind of sucks. Because I feel like we need more, like, of a, more communities to, like, give you that validation that you're not a terrible person. Because if I do something that's, like, morally wrong, and I'm sitting there, like, well, what do I do now? Like, you have to forgive yourself because you can't look for forgiveness elsewhere if you're not religious. Right. So you can't be like, God, like, please forgive me for this because you have to forgive yourself. And that's, like, so much harder. I think that's really, like, I think it's so much harder to have yourself forgive yourself than to ask for forgiveness and mm-hmm. then just moving forward. Because as a person, I try to forgive myself and then moving forward, I try and live by, like, a better... An unaltered like, set of rules. Like, you right. learn from that experience. Right? right, exactly. And with that... I think that's what some people look for religion for is when they can't, like, because it's really hard to forgive yourself. something to fall back on. Yeah. and it's, Like religion. I kind of wish that I was religious for the fact that I could be like, please forgive me and I will, like, do better. Mm-hmm. Right. And now I just have to, that's my, that's my responsibility now to forgive myself and do better. Mm-hmm. And it's only my responsibility and it's a lot harder. So, that's an interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I think about it a lot. Because I've been like, what if I just become Christian so I can <laughs> See, like, what it, but I can't force myself but to in Christianity it, so that's how it works yeah exactly. if you admit like you could be on your deathbed you could have done ever you could be 99 and dying and say I accept Lord our Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and in his mind you are saved that is it that was really all it took. Anything about religion doesn't know if that's how it works, but I can confirm that from that being a Christian and from like, yeah. like as long I as the main members. thing is believing that. If you be, if you say that and believe it, then 
from yeah. our perspective and from Jesus Christ's perspective, then you are forgiven. Like family members who haven't talked in years. I can't believe it. Like, no, I, I can't. can't. Like, I can't. Like, I just know that I don't believe right. it. Mm-hmm. So, like, I can't even do that. Like, I wish I could. I Like, I kind of wish that I could believe in it. Just where I'm at, I, I can't. But I wish I could just so I could have that. Because that'd I, be, like, such a peaceful thing. Right. And now I have to find peace somewhere else within myself. And I feel like that's a elsewhere. different level of cognition that a lot of people who are religious don't even choose to acknowledge. Because well, that's I mean, a struggle. Scary. And, like, I had members of my family approach other members of my family, like, in their last days, saying, like, you know, it's not too late. Bad timing. God <laughs> damn. God damn. That, would suck. that is, wow. Like, I can't, and that's, like, but they genuinely, with all their hearts, think that they are saving that person when right, they do that. Right, right. It's very pure intentions. And I, yeah. it, it messes with my humanity because, like, I know they're trying to be a good person, but, wow, like, <laughs> you really just said that. Mm-hmm. And going back to that's why God gave us free will, that draws back to my, well, how can a God be all-knowing but also all-loving? Mm-hmm. Because if he's all-knowing, he gave us free will knowing that we would massacre one another, mm-hmm. that we would inflict the world's... the most intense amount of physical worldly pain on the most innocent of people Mm -hmm. and he's okay with that and he allows it and he gave you that opportunity knowing that that was what would happen Mm. or he didn't know and he gave you that opportunity and has the power to stop it at any point and chooses not to Mm. in either way i do not want that god in yeah. either of those situations. I don't want him to either know about it and have the power to take it away and choose not to or have that power and give it and not know because then why is he my God if he doesn't know? Yeah. Mm. It's a very, very deep conversation. And a lot of, like Anna mentioned, a lot of religious people ignore these type of things because... I've lost a lot to be of on- friends up over it. Yeah. To be honest, they don't know. But also, people don't know how to respectfully disagree. And just even if I was a Christian, be like, no, blah, 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 blah. That's your opinion. Everyone has the right to an opinion and a belief. And it's a valid question. Even as a Christian, I've had my own questions. I've had my own concerns. Mm-hmm. I just have faith in my religion. Just as someone would question, why can these things happen in this world? Why is this world as evil as it is? If there's someone who has the power of not having to repent or having all the power to change and change the world if they're out there and why doesn't it happen it's a valid question and change it without any of us realizing or knowing because in if god is all powerful he could make those changes without us even ever being aware that we're, there were changes exactly and maybe he does maybe we just don't know right it's it, completely possible it is but a very loaded conversation but there's just so much evil it's, yeah. how can he also yeah. be all loving does know. he love all mm. of his creations or just the ones that claim him? Mm. Yeah. Because if it's just the ones that claim him, well, that, that's then an, he's that's not a, all loving. I mean, Why did he create thing. me? That's another thing that I don't agree with religion. I just feel like, I mean, the way that I look at it Why would is he create me if he's all-knowing, though, even if you don't specifically believe in him, but you do everything right in life, would you go to heaven or no? Because you didn't believe in him. That's... Like, what's the Christian answer to that? (laughs) If I don't believe in him, but I followed all his rules. Yeah, let's just say that. My answer would be, my personal answer would be, I don't know. But if I were to take a guess, one of the main things of Christianity is believing in him. So if we go off that, then 
I don't know. I don't think so. That would be my guess. But so it's my commitment to him that's important. That's God. So scary. It's not my actual yeah. actions. It's my commitment to him. And that's, that's one and of that, the main... And then, <laughs> then, that, and then it goes back to the, then he's not all loving. Mm-hmm. He's either all knowing or all loving. He cannot be both. I honestly, I mean, I think that could be something other. I just don't know. Yeah, but exactly. Like, I'm not gonna, I don't know. I'm not at liberty to say. Yeah, I'm, no, me neither. I mean, obviously, none of us really know. So, like, and I'm not God, so there's no yeah. way. That's one of the, really? and, that's one of like who would have guessed that I wasn't? But Are you sure? and it's one of, like maybe I'm like I'm I'm undercover for it, but yeah. it's one of the main gripes I have with people who are like homophobic, for example, because you don't have the power to say if somebody's gonna go to hell or not. If you're or you're not in a position to judge, because even the Bible says the scripture is I'm paraphrasing it, but he who is without sin cast the first stone. First stone. So like if you're without sin, go ahead and judge someone based off of your own actions like nobody's perfect so in the sense of like will you go to heaven or hell or not there's only no one really knows the real answer and that's the thing that christians tend to avoid admitting is that we don't know if our religion we believe in is correct we just believe in it there's no literal fact that shows that it's true someone argued that there are more facts that it's not true so there's no right or wrong answer in my personal opinion with what you believe in or how you choose to go about your life and the question i have for you two with not being religious and i know you mentioned anna of like sometimes wishing that you were just to have that like something to fall on how do you guys tend to deal with things or get through certain situations without that religious factor to lean on is it more of yourself is it more with someone like a person how do you guys use how do you guys make something to lean on when you're not okay well, i have a question for you after this just I, before you ask <laughs> another one go ahead though but um i like i mean i still struggle with this like terribly like i go through it a lot but um i think i just rely on knowing myself that i'm a good person like and then like knowing that i can learn from because like all i mean Ever since we're kids, we're told, you know, learn from your mistakes, obviously. So, like, if I make a mistake and, like, I know that I can, from then on, if I can forgive myself, like, I can get over that and then move on and do better, then it's, like, I don't need, like, something to validate that, mm-hmm. like, 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 religion. But if, like, but it's still something I revisit a lot. Like, I can't, because I don't, forgiving yourself is a lot, like, harder because you, you know if you've forgiven yourself or not. Mm-hmm. Versus, like, if you pray that, like, please, like, forgive me. You don't, I mean, you don't know, but, like, you're assuming that they do because, like, that's just kind of how the religion goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so with yourself, you revisit a lot, but it kind of keeps you in check to not do something awful again. So if you do something awful and you're checking yourself over and over again, like, I didn't even forgive myself for the first thing that I did, then it kind of helps you stay on track. But it does, it does hurt, like, more as a person. Like, it physically, like, takes a toll, like, mentally at least. Um, so that's, I mean, I just deal with it by trying my hardest to not do it again, to learn from it. And I think like, there's so many things that I've learned from and I've taken so many lessons from everything that doing that really like having that idea that I like, this sucks right now. And eventually I'll get over it because I'll have learned from it is like, you just have to have that mindset that it eventually after some time you will figure yourself and get over it and do better. Definitely understand. That's how it goes for me. How do you feel Shay? Um, well, I feel like what would prompt someone to look to religion for, at like, a, in a point in their life, mm-hmm. why does this happen? Why is this happening to me? This isn't fair. Mm-hmm. My dad always said, life isn't fair. 
Only things that are fair are hand shoes and horse, er, hand shoes are, gosh, <laughs> horseshoes and hand grenades. Mm. And you don't have to do anything in life except pay taxes and die. And that's like, that's my philosophy. I don't have to do anything. I don't have any real purpose other than to be here. Mm-hmm. I'm here to experience, see, do, exist, and feel as much as I possibly can fit into this short life that I'm given. And life isn't fair, but there's not anything I can do about that. Mm-hmm. And even if I was religious, I would just be pushing that blame or responsibility off onto someone that I felt could, that being whatever deity of my choosing, mm-hmm. whether it be God, Mother Nature, Buddha. I'm pushing that responsibility and I shouldn't have said Buddha because that is a philosophy based religion and <laughs> you can't push responsibility on anything. That is all you. Mm-hmm. But whether that be God, Mother Nature, Muhammad, whoever you are pushing that blame off to it's kind of relieving yourself of it Mm -hmm. and in my eyes life goes on there's nothing else i can do but move forward yeah and i there's no one for me to give that blame to but is it hard for you to forgive yourself and even if i could i would still just have to move forward and no i don't think so because i think i don't know anything different Mm. i've never i it was almost hard for me to understand that question because like, what do you mean, what do I do? I go forward, I keep going, what else is there to do? Mm-hmm. I can't ask anyone. Like, no one has answers, like, life isn't fair. Mm-hmm. Life isn't fair, you don't have to do anything. You have to die, that's what everyone does, but yeah. I mean, anything saying otherwise is up for conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, if you, I mean, if someone is telling me otherwise, that's a person. If there's a book telling me otherwise, that's a book. Like. I don't know. I feel like <clears throat> when stuff happens, there is nothing else to do than move forward and move on. Yeah. That's definitely understandable. And you had a question for me. I know you mentioned it earlier and I had you write it down just so I wouldn't forget. But And I'm not good with typing because I was also trying to listen at the same time. Definitely so I'd rather just like phrase it. Do you feel like as someone who's sound in their religion, mm-hmm. if someone could refute or dispute the things that you take, like... Like you said, like having free will. Mm-hmm. Someone could prove that otherwise. Or if someone could answer all the questions that you previously had answered with religion mm-hmm. with something else, do you think you would still find yourself religious for the sake of the faith, for the sake of believing it, even though logically it doesn't make sense anymore? I would. And it's funny you ask that because it's technically happens in everyday life. Like I had, took a biology course and the way we ended the class for like the last few months was evolution versus religion. Mm-hmm. And with every religious explanation, there's a logical and realistic explanation in the worldview as well. But with how I've, one, grown up and also just the personal experiences I've had with religion, it would almost feel like I'm starting life over again if I were to give up that religion, mm-hmm. even if the questions were answered just because you never know if if someone could be wrong or if there's illogical evidence that maybe doesn't get every detail but it'll be interesting if there was if i can like intervene real quick is that evidence not more than the no evidence you currently have what do you mean like when it comes to religion it's completely theoretical Mm -hmm. there's no solid anything but Mm -hmm. when you get something that is physical solid proof that you can see explain and root with logic 
without refuting when it comes to something like evolution. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess, why? Why do you still choose the religion? Just from one, from what I was, what I was raised, it was ingrained in my mind. And then even if I take that away from the life that I've lived without just being taught a certain thing, it's just, it's really all about comfort. Because even when you learn new information, and let's say I learned a lot of new information, I'm not, it's going to take me a long time to grasp that or even learn anything different. So it really just depends all in comfort and just in my faith that really, like, maybe the evidence is wrong or maybe God made the evidence. I don't know. It's really, some would argue it's naive and some would argue it's logical. I think it varies based on what we're talking about and the people. But just for me personally, even taking away from what my parents taught me, because we're all going to get to a point where our parents' views, one, are going to differ from ours. But we're, we can't just think of things just because we're told. Just with me, it's really more of a comfort thing and understanding that this is what got me here. So it's like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Is that not a very similar mindset to ignorance is bliss? No, but yes, but there's differences between ignorance is bliss in a negative way that's hurting other people. He's not hurting them. I know, I get so, that. So, like, in that way, if you're comforting yourself and you're not hurting other people by doing it, I absolutely believe that's, that's a great answer. And I think like, that's exactly religion it. is beautiful if and I it should be religious, comforting. That's what I, like, even if you could prove everything wrong if I was religious, I would use it as comfort food to myself because that's how I live my entire life. And, like, even... Even though you're saying all this to me, like, it's just so comforting to know that I can still believe in something. Mm -hmm. So I I do understand that. And like the look for comfort, I guess I don't understand is when you get to the point where you are acknowledging like the ignorance is bliss part and you are aware of the fact that you are choosing to be ignorant I towards think we lie things. to ourselves a lot though like I feel like we lie to ourselves a lot in but about life. something so fundamental as like why we're here and what our purpose yeah. is yeah if I if I lied to myself and it made me feel better and that and it wasn't hurting anyone that's absolutely what I would do but then you're aware that you're lying to yourself but I mean that doesn't mean that I'm still not personally in my head believing in the lie like even even then right and that's where I think I just can't understand that's understandable. Is believing, like, I, I don't think I can lie to myself like that. Mm-hmm. I absolutely can. <laughs> so I think, like, I don't know, I just feel like there's a lot of things that I can lie to myself about to make me feel more comfortable. And honestly, if that's what I need to do to get through it, that's what I'm going to do. And I can, but it's when I realize that I'm lying to myself. <laughs> it's oh, like I, I would never, I, I could not I do that intentionally. Like, I can't. Yeah. It's like physically, like, I don't need, I, it's hard for me to put myself in that position yeah. because I don't think I have experience in it. Like, I don't. Do you have an example besides religion? Like, how do you lie to yourself? There's just, like, traumatic things, like, in life that I lie to myself about to not, like, feel that traumatic thing. Because there's there's a lot of traumas that I just want to sit here and just be, like, if I even just lie to myself and say that it was a dream, I know I'm lying because I know what happened. But does it make me feel better? Absolutely. And I kind of like that. So, like, it's just, like, lying to myself to bring comfort to myself. Mm -hmm. And it's a way of... I get how that makes you feel better, but I feel like it wouldn't make me feel better. Yeah. I think that's also, like, just a personal thing. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's just, understandable. It's, like, valid I'm, that it helps you. If I can you. convince myself, though, like, like, not really convince myself, but if I can, like, try my best to convince myself and I feel better about it, like, it's just, like, a coping mechanism. Like, it's a coping thing. And it comes back to what I said earlier. Like, I don't know if my religion is right. No one theoretically knows, like, in black and white that this religion is right. It's why I feel that you should never push any of your beliefs onto someone because what, like you asked, what happens if they're all proven wrong? Now you're looking as though 
you lived your, you modeled your entire life around something that has been proven not true. Mm -hmm. So it all depends. Like it, remi it reminds me, I had a conversation with one of my friends, but he was Muslim. And we talked a lot about like our differences in religion. And up until a certain point, there were no differences. There were the exact same models mm -hmm. that we live our lives on now. And then he got to the point where we both, we looked at Jesus Christ differently as yeah. obviously I believe in Jesus Christ. And he said that he, they look at Jesus more as a prophet, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So the prophet of the, there's two types of Islam, mm -hmm. one that believes in the prophet and one that believes in a different prophet. That's, that's why it's a very, <clears throat> that's something I love about religion though, is that They're all, all of the these religions have different names. But, like, low-key. They're all the same. They're all the same. They all have the and same basis. Yeah. I, I kind of like that. I realized I, that when I was yeah. reading Percy Jackson as a kid. Yeah. I was like, "Is wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like that about religion. Because yeah. it's like, even it's though... It's cute. Yeah, it is. It's, 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 it's a very human thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, like, nice. Because you see things time. so differently. But you guys are still living by the same, like... Morals. Morals, ideals, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Even separated by things, like, if you think about, like, where Islam started and where Christianity started mm -hmm. and how much they've gone through and the fact that those ideals are still the same mm -hmm. it's, it's just a very human thing and mm -hmm. I do understand the comfort of it it's just something that like I feel like the logical part of my brain won't let me yeah. overstep yeah mm -hmm. understandable I like the um the whole thing like any Christian that I meet that can sit there and say that only God can judge I'm gonna like them because if and because that means that you're not gonna judge me for shit and you're not going to push your religion onto me. So if you're like that, like, that's, I don't have anything against Christians unless if you're, you know, you know, judging me or, like, pushing it onto me. Mm -hmm. But, like, that idea of only God can judge, that's, like, if, if that was how religion was in this country, like, or just, like, all around the world to where people were not, like, making it such a judgmental thing, because it's not. It's not supposed to be. So, like, in that way, if you just say only God can judge and they're not going to judge me, why I have absolutely no problem with anyone. So I kind of like that. And too. I feel the world would be such a better place if yep. people were worried about themselves. Agreed. Because one of, again, the Bible, the Bible says a lot of things. And one of the things it says is love thy neighbor. It doesn't say love thy straight, Christian, Muslim neighbor. It just says love thy neighbor. Mm -hmm. And one of the main things of Christianity is that we're supposed to spread love. It's not supposed to be judgmental. It's really a lot of religions. You're not supposed to be judgmental. So in turn, claiming a religion, but then being judgmental, it's, it's almost hypocritical not even it's literally hypocritical because you would bait you were judging someone based off of them not sharing the beliefs you have but the beliefs you have center around the people that don't believe in the things you do that's why we have a religion it's why we have different religions because different people have different views mm -hmm. so it really confuses me and really angers me when there are people like christians who are so judgmental and then they try and force a lifestyle that they know you're not comfortable with, but they just want you to do it because they do it. Yeah. And I don't know.